Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk. The world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Kokodog, episode 241. On tap today, we have a gaggle of guests and a new game on or game update segment. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome. Hello, Mark. Are Welcome, still panels. Hello. <laughs> for the moment, Hello. we'll see how long that'll last. Just, just for our viewers that uh, obviously would know the backstory here, uh, Mark got called into work and he was there because of what, tornadoes, I think it was, till four in the morning? Um, well, the tornadoes didn't get to Springfield, Missouri, I don't think, but uh, the storms did go through and uh, uh, I had to uh, work with the police on uh, our alarm that went off at the office up there. So it was uh, four till uh, I could finally get back to sleep. Yeah, it was a quick moving so, storm. We got it up here already. So, uh, yeah, this is the same storm that uh, raised havoc in, uh, what, Kentucky and lower Ohio. Right. But so, at any rate, if uh, any of you viewers out there notice that Mark's starting to nod off, just make sure to shut at him and chat to wake him up. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, I'm sure there's other things that could happen to wake him up. This isn't Team Speaker regulars, David. You know, like the uh, <laughs> um, taser I've got uh, mounted to the bed here. Yeah, that's so, all. Uh, anyway, panels. Yes, panel introductions. We should do that. Yep. So, um, quick panel intros. Today we have Al Curtis Boyle, Mark Overhoster. Hello. Uh, me in the top center, uh, Rick Euland is over there. We got Ken Waters, uh, Fred uh, Provincia. Mm. And forgive me if I misspell or mispronounce names. Uh, Brian Schubring. Hello, hello. And we got man. Mr. Dave, 6809. Hello, guys. I thought you were 6309. Oh, uh, yeah. Small Depends mountain. on the day. All right. Uh, They're both good. On the next row, Karen Anscombe. Hello, Dave. Hi, yeah. <laughs> I got to work on that one. Uh, then we got Alan. Howdy, howdy. And, uh, Jay is over there. And hello, everyone. Uh, 
Oh, well. Uh, then we have David Ladd. Uh, Nick Parentes. Hey, good everyone. Uh, Steve Bamford. Hello. And James Diffendaffer. Hello. So in, in the chat, we've got uh, uh, Alan, Missy, who's having to send the slave out for some coffee. Uh, Curtis on there, Tom Eric. Uh, the screen I can barely read over here. Jim, Kevin Holloway, Jim Landry, Tim Franklin, Rocky Hill, bunch more. Yep, Rocky Hill, D Dave Croker. There's Chris Poacher just popping in. David Craker. Yeah, there's a bunch of people in there already. Yeah. Mikey said in the chat too, he's only going to be here for the beginning of the show. So he won't okay. be able to watch you nod off, unfortunately. <laughs> All right. So uh, today, uh, I guess we'll start off with the uh, Game On Challenge and then uh, lengthy discussions of uh, game updates. Yep. All right. Take it away, Ken. See. Let me find the right. Are you going to do a little uh, intro form first? Yeah, There's I got to do, do the intros when I find the right buttons here. Uh, the, 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 here we go. High score challenge. Welcome everyone to the results of this week's Coco Talk Game On Challenge of the Week, where we played Seamus. There were a total of 20 players. We had Mr. Dave 6309 with 2980, Missy with 5185, Mikey with 8035. Mark B with 8460, OG Stevie Stro with 8780, HSI 9570, Tom C 9980, Canadian Retro Things 10,285, L Curtis Boyle 10,920, Jim Rye 11,010, Rich N 11,805, Kieran 12,865. Coco Man, 15,245. Sloopy Malibu, 17,660. Coco Discord User, 18,655. Tasman Scott Cooper, 25,055. Buck Owens, 34,325. Flutterball, 59,800. Fred Provencha, 62,070. And the number one this score this week is TBJ Chris, who rolled the score over and got an additional 140 points. Thanks to everybody that played, and we will see you next week. Wow. So the score, the score rolled over. I'm not exactly sure when that happened. So I'm guessing was... 65,536. That's or yeah, five. yeah. I, I think that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a, a sixteen-bit number that wrapped over. Yeah, we kind of guessed that, but eh, I just thought it Unsigned looked better with rollover. <laughs> so another good turnout for the game this week. Um, and yeah, we played Seamus, which uh, was a game that was released on many different platforms, and there was also. 
see, Curtis put, uh, whoops, I guess I got to share my screen here. It's actually a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a good game. Oh, I can't share the screen. Oh, that's because I am. Hang on. Now you can. Screen hog. Um, desktop. There we go. And share. Let's see here. So Curtis uh, posted this um, review of the game. Uh, the guy said in this one that it was uh, an excellent game, uh, a good shoot 'em up, 97% action game, 3%, uh, I guess, other stuff like uh, finding keys and doors finding and keys and everything else. But uh, you so, notice the ad that's on that page? Yeah, Canadians. <laughs> Good night. Kelly Software from Edmonton. <laughs> I remember them. <laughs> but yeah, so like this game. If you're a fan of shoot 'em ups, he said, you're going to love this game. Otherwise, yeah, probably not. <laughs> so and it's um, a large game 148 rooms, four basic levels for each. Yeah. Um, it's, there's a lot to, a lot of replay value because it takes a while to get through it all. There was a video we put on game on news not too long ago within the last month or two that actually somebody played the cocoa version and actually won it like beat the main boss at the end and then it wraps over to a harder level and start over i don't know if tbj or tgb or tjb chris or fred or anybody else got to that point with their scores or not but uh, I, I did not get to that point no looks like you uh, had to go a little bit further than uh wrapping the score over to beat the game yeah yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's what I found. But it's as I mentioned last week, I'll, I'll just do one little quick thing here. Okay. Uh, this was a game that actually was sold as early as uh, 1983 by Synapse Software directly for the Coco. It was one of three titles they promised. Only two got released, as far as I know. But this is one that Tandy ended up picking up, just like Zaxxon from Datasoft, and started selling themselves. They did not pick up the other one, Protectors Two. Okay. But, sorry, go ahead. And this was released on a number of uh, different platforms, so. There's a bunch of them here. There's the Atari 8-bit, uh, Commodore 64, so uh, IBM PC, VIC-20, TI-99, the Coco, and the Apple II, and the Game Boy Color. Oh, I didn't know about that one. Yeah. So it's quite interesting that it was on all those different platforms and, you know, fairly similar looking and all of them. How, how would you describe it? I would describe it kind of as like berserk, but with a bunch of extra elements and fixed mazes rather than kind of randomized. Uh, yeah. Kind of a cross between Tut's Tomb and Berserk, I would say. Yeah, it's Berserk turned into an adventure. Yeah, because you got pickups, you got like the little potions for free men, you got the mystery ones that are question mark, you're not quite sure what you're getting. And here's some gameplay footage from uh, Coco Man. I did find out one interesting thing when I did my gameplay, though, that uh, black line between your hat and your head, a bullet can go through there and you don't die. And you can shoot the bullets. And yes, my internet just like the necktie from Berserk. Yeah. That's right. Um, <laughs> That's happened a number of times to me where it passes right through my hat and I and I like <clears throat> I, I I think to myself, holy cow, did I luck out there? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
yeah, I mean, uh, those bullets are really hard to avoid. <laughs> you know, when one's coming at you, you're like, oh, crap. And you can't get out of the way in time a lot of the time. And if it's uh, at the perfect level, you can shoot it. Yeah, if yeah, but that's really tricky to do. You know, mm -hmm. you have to, you know, get on right the exact same level and shoot at it. And it's uh, more luck than anything else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the it ha everything happens so fast. You usually don't have time to react like that. So there are a couple things, a little tricks you can use to kind of increase your chances of survival like that. Um, I usually hang out right at the edge of the screen. Okay, so if a bullet's coming towards me, I just retreat to the previous room. Yeah. And then come back into the room and everything resets. Or if there's um, too many guys to try and kill. Yeah, exactly. If there's like way too many guys and you don't think you can get, you know, get them all, just retreat and then come back in. And, uh, you know, maybe it might be less better <laughs> luck. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, one, of, one of the strategies I had playing the game. Um, anybody else have any other strategies or observations about the game? I just kept um, shooting like crazy. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's easier to shoot down and up than it is left and right. Um, for some reason, the, I guess the bullets are fatter, I guess, when you're shooting downward or upward. Um, and so it's easier to hit them. Now, uh, Jer Jeremy Landry in the chat mentioned the biggest problem in the game was the bizarre diagonal aiming. That ruined me more than anything, both diagonal movement and diagonal shots. I didn't have any major yeah, problems. I, with I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, you, you get used to it. Um, I was playing with the Black Beauty, yeah. so it was quite easy to do the diagonal. Yeah, yeah diagonals were tough if you used the keyboard. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, okay. I, I, I like found it. it very difficult to play without using the Black Beauty, so I was using the Black Beauty like the whole yeah. time. Yeah, if you tried a digital joystick, you just couldn't shoot or yeah. move in the diagonal, exactly. so... A couple other hints I could probably give is when you press the fire button, you can't move. Okay. Yep. So um, you can use that to your advantage. You could press the button, hold it down so that you don't move and then rapidly fire in whatever direction you need to, to take out all the enemies close by. And then once the you know, immediate area is cleared out, then you advance further into the room. Um, uh, it's, yeah, so you can use that to your advantage. The fact that you mm -hmm. hold the button down, you don't move. You're just, but you can still fire. Um, another thing is when when uh, when there's enemies on the other side of a wall, okay, they kind of follow you uh, as you're going up to the top of the wall, and the uh, temptation is to, as soon as you hit the edge of the wall, to peek over the edge and then start firing at them. But that's I found that that's really risky because they can fire back at you. And if you're, if you're not firing at exactly the same level, then they'll kill you. So what you do is you just run past the top of the wall. They'll fire and you'll be able to get out of the way and then fire down at them at an angle and uh, take them out that way. Um, that's get how out you the get middle of the room, get out in the middle of the space. Yeah. Yeah. So like what he's doing right there, I wouldn't actually do that. I would keep moving to the right and then fire down uh, at an angle at them um, so that they can't, so that if they fire back at you, you you're able to get out of the way in time. And one little um, trick I picked up is that when you have some of those pickups like keys and question marks and potions and stuff that those also block shots and also blocks the opponents. So you can use that as kind of a mini wall to steer them and herd them up together type thing. And that, that came in handy. 
yeah, they can act like a shield. <laughs> yeah. Um, to kind of protect you. Now, Jeremy Landry following up with the diagonals company says the diagonals aren't true diagonal. I could use the diagonals just fine. They just came out of wonky angles. I guess if you're expecting perfect 45 degrees, yeah, he's right. <laughs> but yeah. you just get used to it. So. Now, one of the things I found interesting with this game is uh, changing the difficulty level didn't uh, actually change the number of uh, bad guys that you get or anything. It just changed the speed. And on the hardest level, it was a very fast game. I find it okay. kind of played better with the higher levels. It did until you killed all the guys on the screen and you could move free <laughs> freely. Oh, I kept what? hitting walls when I did that. I, I never could get that far. <laughs> yeah, it, it starts moving you like really, really quick. Yeah. Like if you're in the position where you got the you're firing and you got the joystick pointed in one direction and all the guys get killed and then all of a sudden you just fly across the screen and hit a wall. Well, one thing I liked about the game visually though is that it, it made use of artifact colors beyond the basic four, like most our games did back then. So if you were running on true composite with all the, the funky purples and yellows and greens and stuff, mm -hmm. it actually with all these patterns it does in the background behind the walls, you actually got to see a lot of that. So it's actually one of the more colorful Coco 1 and 2 games from this era. On a pure emulator, it, it's pretty well does, you know, on the older emulators especially, it really does just the basic, you know, black, white, red, blue type thing. But on an actual composite monitor, you get, you know, the, all the funky colors. Yeah, I loved this game when I was a kid. My brother and I played it a lot. And, uh, uh, you know, it's my kind of game. I love the shoot 'em up games. Um, and uh, my brother had the all-time high score in my family um until this week didn't he i think you well, beat it, no i i actually didn't break his score <laughs> yeah i think you came I the came, closest you ever really, did though i came really close but i didn't i actually didn't break his score his score was like sixty-two thousand five hundred or something and mine was like sixty-two thousand seventy. so <laughs> i just barely missed it well yeah. there's your evil auto guy who at least you can stun unlike the zerk yeah or yeah that's yeah that's that's handy Actually, it's more like acts more like the guy in uh, Venture. Yeah, because you can shoot him and shoot him and stop him for a second. Yeah, I, I did like the keys. Though. Like I've actually, there's some maps for Seamus because obviously it's a popular game on, on multiple platforms. So there's actually diagram maps of each of the four levels to go through. So it shows you where the rooms are, where the keys are, and, and, and where the locks and stuff to unlock levels are. So you can actually use that running on another window if you're running an emulator or just, you know, next to you on a laptop or whatever to, to kind of you know, gauge where you're going. Cause I used to forget where the hell I'd been and back in the old days and I'd end up running through the same rooms. I've already picked up everything and then I just end up dying. Yeah. You really need to either make a map or get a map uh, to find yeah. your way around. Yeah, for sure. I found that too. I was wandering around. I'm like, Oh, been in this room, been in this room. <laughs> yep. Especially now that I'm getting older, my memory's actually getting worse. So I don't remember, you know, the previous room I was in. Was I on the left side or the right side? I don't remember. <laughs> but it, it's a good game. I, it, it has more play, long term playability and replayability than Berserk because there's there's a yeah. lot of variety. Um, there's different skill levels to play. You know, the randomized question mark where you don't know what you're actually getting type thing. So there's a lot of replayability that beyond Berserk, I think it's a it's a better game than Berserk, to be honest. It came out later too, but and more of a goal in it than Berserk. And Berserk is just go from room to room to room. I don't know if there's actually an ending in Berserk or not. No, not that I know. No, just dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's your end. <laughs> the futility played, of the robot horde. Has anybody played Seamus 2 before? I have not. 
Seamus 2 is an entirely different game, and it's quite bizarre. Uh, it's a, It starts out as a side-scrolling game, and you move into rooms that resemble a breakout or Arkanoid-type thing where you Seamus fires these things that look like popcorn balls up to rows of aliens. And then as you complete them, you move up to different levels. It's 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 a it's a bizarre game. I know that it came out for the Atari 8-bit systems, but I don't know what else it came out for. Hmm, I'll have to check in that. I didn't even know that one existed. And welcome to the show, Boat. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, snuck it's in. Good, it's, a good it's a good game. Yeah. Enjoyed this one a lot. And uh that's uh and who was it to pick this one? Uh me. Oh, okay. I just, yeah. So, uh, yeah, two good games in a row, uh, two good turnouts in a row. I don't know, is Sloopy on the call? No, oh. I know he was having streaming problems. Okay, well, so for I'm the... I'm here. Oh, you are you here. here. Okay, cool. Okay, yes. well, we'll pass it over to Sloopy to talk about the uh, live game, the live playthrough. <clears throat> and I will stop sharing for right now. There. Yeah, give me a second. My uh, leash holder sent me to go get her coffee before the show started. <laughs> yeah, we saw that. <laughs> you know, you can just make coffee in the kitchen. <laughs> oh, my God. Say. Her Highness, you drink coffee from the kitchen? Are you kidding? <laughs> Says the guy who lives in coffee. Are you using <laughs> common water? <laughs> yeah, it has to be Wawa coffee. See? Wawa coffee. <laughs> So that, that explains your intro, which kind of reminded me of them Zoom calls from court. <laughs> Slopey, <Yeah>. I'm here. <laughs> yep. oh, man. Yeah, I, I, it's court. I'm the court jester. Anyway, Sleepy, I, I know I tried to watch the uh, stream there and then it started dying on me and a few other people. So I guess you were having some internet issues during the, the stream. Yeah, I think it's... Um... Now, 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 don't tell uh, Mr. Murphy this, but I think it was a Windows issue. <laughs> <laughs> don't get him. That is believable. I blamed yeah. it on Internet Storm Sloop. Yeah, no, but it was Windows. It's sunspots. Um, it was um, uh, my 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 computer had a total uptime of 18 uh, days. And for some reason, some things were very slow and Internet was one of the things that was hit or miss. And as soon as I uh, rebooted my computer, bam, it ran fine. And uh, I was able to stream last night on my own stream because I was doing some soldering work. And tonight uh, I'll be streaming on my own uh, Twitch for uh, doing soldering work also. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much um, after a little bit gave up and, uh, um mark b stepped up and uh and streamed the show so uh, uh, let's see here so basically you just have to reboot windows before each stream just to make sure no memory leaks happen or whatever right right i'm sorry uh, for you <clears throat> i think i'm gonna have to go back to to uh linux but my really cool linux box isn't working but um sorry i just ran to the store and it's <laughs> i'm a little winded um but on to the show let me uh see here uh 
So this is when you also had to delay a day too, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I had, uh, my son has mental health issues and, uh, he had an evaluation Wednesday. So I had to, uh, go and take care, take him for that. And, and, uh, there's one thing I wanted to ask if you and Ken here back. is that with, with Christmas coming up and we're not going to do a regular episode on Christmas Eve. Um, we're, you know, asking for soliciting for, uh, you know, comments from the, uh, people that watch us to send in some Christmas memories about the cocoa, et cetera. But I was wondering, like, I'm guessing we'll probably try to do a double header for that, uh, to cover that week. So we'll, yeah, I think so. We'll we'll try something like we'll do maybe try another adventure game and uh, an action game again, like the uh, two weeks the the two week stretch we had uh, during Coco Fest. Okay, because I was figuring I, we we can ask Loopy. Does he is he still planning on streaming a game on like his Wednesday date that normally is is not on you know on a, on a holiday day. Christmas Eve type thing. So I was wondering, are you planning on doing that through between Christmas and New Year's? Um, actually, I or are you away or anything? I'm going to be changing it to Thursday so that oh, okay. things like Wednesday don't happen, but that's still like away from the holidays. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's up to Ken if he wants to do two, two games and I'll just uh, focus on one for one week and focus on the other one for the other week or well, like one, one of them will probably be like an adventure game or like a something like that. So not a score based type game. So kind of might be interesting in the live playthrough. If you take do do a playthrough by one person and take suggestions from everybody that's there. Say okay, let's like as a group playthrough type thing. Or oh, then I'll need my Invisi Clues uh, Curtis edition because <laughs> <laughs> I am Just terrible. Yeah, I'm terrible at uh, at those things. You can pick pick a game that I can find a walkthrough online so I can look <coughs> smart. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Dallas we'll Quest see. comes to mind. Dallas Quest. <laughs> oh, if we're going right. to do that. We'll have to bring on some of the amigos there because that was uh, Brent's favorite game as a youth. I think if I remember. Yep, it was. Oh, I, I, I love that game. Hence why I always do the Dallas theme every once in a while and cat voices. <laughs> so, Boat, we might have to have you contact Brent if, if we do end up doing that and see if he wants to take part in maybe I believe a live you can contact there. Brent just as well as I can, Curtis. I can, but you have more pull than I do. I do not. That is 100% guaranteed. <laughs> as I know, Aaron has no pull with him at all. Basically, whatever Aaron says for him to do, he does the opposite, so... Oh, then tell him not to do it. <laughs> yeah, you really don't want to live stream uh, Dallas Quest, do you? Bro? Yeah, a little reverse mm. psychology. Actually. If we're playing <laughs> Dallas Quest, he's not invited. <laughs> mm. All right. Back to uh, this wonderful thing we call... Uh, I'm not going to even name it. All right, let me share my screen and this one and share. All righty. And here we had uh, five people, but we actually went up to six. And we had uh, a couple notable uh, notable uh, events happen. Um, Jason, the Cocoa Man Riker, uh, joined us. 
and he has the exclusive honor of being the first player to actually use real hardware on on the show. He uh, hooked up his uh, his Coco to uh, the video input and had it streaming and was playing. And this one, I do believe, is him. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, this one here is is him. And we also had uh, <clears throat> the usual gaggle of guests. Um, we had obviously uh, Jeremy Landry in the uh, in the jail cell uh, heckling or trying to heckle, and we had uh, Mark B playing. Um, uh, Red was in there, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, actually, uh, Red was in there too. And this is his screen <laughs> because Mark B was uh, uh, doing the behind the scenes. He's he was having a little bit of issues uh, with uh, doing it, but we eventually got it sorted. So, but uh, here, yeah, the names. And we had Paul Fiscarelli, Jim Rye. Uh, up there's Coco Man. There's Mark B, and there's me. And. Uh, I think fun was had by all, and uh, we figured out the uh, the maps together and some of the uh, more obscure uh, play uh, notes. Unfortunately, none of us uh, seem to have the uh, mad skills of uh, Fred or uh, or T uh, T J B Chris. So. But it was a fun game, I think, and absolutely. people were enjoying it. Absolutely, I mean, I've I played more the other night than I did. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. I got a higher score the other night than I did actually playing it back in the day on that A word computer. So, because I didn't know that there was. I didn't know this was released levels. on the Amstrad. Uh, <laughs> Or the Atmos, one of them, yeah. Or the Altair. Um. The Apple? Wow, Apple. <laughs> <laughs> the one with the great graphics as opposed to these uh, mediocre graphics. <laughs> Boat, Boat's first computer. My first uh, good computer. So... Now, do, do the um, mazes change color? I mean, it, blue is the uh, default, I take it. it does, For the yeah. first level, it's blue. When you get to the other levels, there's four, I think, total, then it switches the colors of the... Uh, level one is red. I know that. Ah, yeah. good, yeah. I know on some yeah. of the other uh, versions, they actually called the uh, levels by their <coughs> color. So this is the blue level, then there's the red level, and rather right. than level zero, one, two, three. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's what, about 40, 40, 40 screens per level or something? I can't remember the exact number, but it's a fair number that you have to go yeah. through. And then you unlock the final keys to get into the next level. Yeah, there, there's, it's a, um, it's variable between uh, about 25 and 50. Yeah, so lots this, of screens. Yeah. This game does, uh, has good use of the artifact coloring. They've done a good job in the presentation of a, uh, of the colors and the yeah, because it goes beyond the base for it that does do the, yeah. the extra ones. 
Actually, I can. Did, uh, did you grab that? I, I think I put up, if I remember, I put up a CCN ad from 1983 that actually had the commercial for the Cocoa version. Uh, it's in the Discord. I didn't uh, bring it up. I could bring it up, though. I just thought it'd be interesting because they actually, I mean, they, they kind of hype the fact that, you know, they're finally making Cocoa games from Synapse. And it was it was kind of a, a, an interesting way to get the Cocoa people to buy into to, to buying games from Synapse. It was a, a rather interesting ad play. Yeah, Synapse made it. Yeah, Synapse made a lot of good, uh, a lot of good games for the Atari. Yeah, I, I believe Synapse published Blue Max, didn't they? Uh, yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah. What, was that was that their main console? Because I think they made for or not console, but main computer, or did they they made for multiple eight bit systems? Obviously, because so many versions of it. But... That was their first. Yeah, I think so things came out on the Atari first, and then were ported. Yeah. Can we all see that now? Or? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. I like like the top there. This is appealing to you know advertising in Coco magazine. So who says all the good games are for somebody else's computer? Synapse software turns your color computer from a micro to a monster. And it has a robot cat, so that's obviously great. Well, if you're a robot, you have to have a robot cat. Of course, the ironic thing is that every single screenshot there is not the Coco version, but hey. And an evil robot mouse on top of the monitor. Yeah. But it does have a Cocoa One, you know, the old gray chiclet keyboard, no bit there on the app. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like I've, I've I've got Protectors too. That's one of the best semi-graphics games written for the Cocoa. Um, Seamus, obviously, we just played. But Picnic Paranoia, I've never seen a Cocoa version. So if that ever got released, I have not seen it. I don't know if anybody else has. It's not in the archive. I know that. But even back in the day, I never had a pirate. I mean, a borrowed copy of that one. So uh, it's called an off-site backup. Secure backup that way. Yeah. Yes. Fire, you don't want to lose it, right? Yeah. Well, that's why I didn't get to play. I didn't know about the adva- the uh, the levels and such in Seamus because I had a uh, offsite backup from a friend. So I, didn't I don't have think a I manual. ever made it past the first the first forty screens. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't either. Me neither. Ma- Back in the day, I think I did make it to the second one once, but I never completed the game. Like I said earlier, there was actually a video we showed on the Game on News a while ago recently that a guy played the Coco version. And actually, there's a there's a boss monster and there's some moving vertical walls and stuff that you have to shoot through. But he actually won yeah. it on the Coco and wrapped it onto the next level. So obviously, yeah. he's way better at it than I am. Yeah, in order to get to the next level, the uh, the key for the to go to the next level is behind the vertical walls. And basically, it's like a small little hole, and you have to shoot the key through the hole. And then the baddies, then the walls disappear and the baddies come. The problem is, is that the baddies are like right there in your face if you're close to the hole. So you have to be pretty far. So you can either shoot the hole easily by being close to it, but then the the bad guys are like right there in your face. Or you have to come, you have to be further back, which makes it more difficult to shoot into the hole, but it also makes it so that they're not right there in your face when when they show up. Yeah, the, I know what room you're talking about. That's like probably, <coughs> for me, it's like one of the hardest rooms in the entire game. I usually die like five times trying to get that stupid key. <laughs> yeah, well, what the one thing that I learned was when you go to try to shoot into the hole, if you miss the hole, go to the previous... Uh, go to the previous screen and then come back so that it resets the uh, timer for the ghost to come. Yeah. So the ghost doesn't come and get you. Yeah. That's, that's, right. that's good advice. So, 
but yeah, I, it took a little uh, timing to do it right. And, and uh, if you're further back, it makes it a lot, e it makes it a lot easier when they come, but when you're closer to it, it makes it easier. So you got to shoot quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I found is that even when I hang back, like you described, uh, as soon as those, uh, those vertical bars disappear, you, those baddies usually start shooting at you right away. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, the first, yeah. Okay. And it's hard so to get out kind of the way. So I still wind up dying sometimes, even if I'm hanging back. Yeah. As soon as you see it go through, the first thing you want to do is run right. <laughs> but don't go out of the room because then you have to do it again. So it would be oh. that level, looks like, or yeah. something like that level. So, Sleepy, a quick um, question then. This, this switch over to Thursday, like you did this this past week, is that effective immediately or, or is there another? Yeah, that's, a, that's effective this Thursday and will be until further notice. Okay. I know that'll make Coco Man happy because he doesn't work on Fridays, he said. Yeah. Um, yeah, it won't, it won't make uh, Tom C. happy because he's usually more able to watch the show and be on the show on Wednesdays. But... Unfortunately, you can't make everyone happy no matter how hard you try. Yeah. Well, plus you're doing that alternate one for the European viewers. I know Fred already thanked you for doing that. So he can maybe join in once in a while. Once a month, you're yeah. going to do a weekend one, I think I believe it is. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm considering uh, the options. It's, I think I'm going to do the, um, the European slash Australian one on, um, on Sundays, like uh, once a month. So, <clears throat> because like one to three in the afternoon here is pretty early <laughs> during the week. Yeah. yeah. I also mentioned Jeremy Landry in the chat said Thursday's better for me too. So I'll be around to heckle for sure. <laughs> oh, then we're definitely going back to Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Until he comes on and puts up or shut up. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of like that other person named Jim that came on and heckled, but but has yet to play. <laughs> he even hasn't even posted a score in the high score, but I ain't gonna I ain't gonna call him out. But I would. It, <laughs> his initials are JB. <laughs> yeah, El El Presidente knows who he is. So, all right, hey, I'll send. Wait, sorry, go ahead. Okay. Well, I guess then it is time to reveal what next week's game is going to be. Missy, yeah. watch. This is where they're going to announce a new game. Let's see. Okay, that's not it. Projectors two. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Looks good it, to me. <laughs> it is a game from some Australian guy. Oh crap. <laughs> Um, I don't know if anybody's ever <laughs> oh, heard of this before. Gate crasher. Yep. <laughs> I thought uh, Australian I said crikey, not crap. Oh, well. Some Nicholas yeah. Morentes or something. I'm not sure. Actually, I did Mar briefly could, talk to yeah, him. Marionettes, please. Let's get it. Yeah, right. I thought that was marionettes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, well, and as usual, Nick cannot spell anything with them in the in the in the word there. So algorithm, Rupert rhythm, he just can't spell that word. I don't know why that is. But. <laughs> So this is available on this Nick Barrentes guy's uh, website. Um, I'll post a link to that in the Discord. He said we could. So, um, but I do have to uh, 
part of the contract con contract to be able to play this is I have to say, while you're there downloading Gatecrasher, take a look at his other fine products uh, oh. for sale, for free download, and upcoming games. Oh, if you get I his other paid-for products on... <laughs> if you buy if you buy his uh, games on CD, they come with these other things on them. So. I'm still waiting for Nick to be honest and just put a big banner at the top that says "Prepare to be fleeced." That's what I'm. Waiting for. <laughs> but you get the super I'm, cheat code. I'm I'm still waiting for the uh, Nitrous 09 uh, Nick Marentes edition. <laughs> well, that's just a big trash can. That's a trash can. <laughs> yeah, did you like that? <laughs> And we should mention the Gate Crasher is a 512k Coco 3 game. It's a 3D perspective shoot 'em up. And as usual, a tradition that Nick has, which he's carrying on in Zero Hour, which we'll be talking about a bit later today, um, he has to sneak in the game of Mastermind in there. I don't know why he has such a fetish for that game, but he does. That was the only one I know how to play. <laughs> <laughs> now, one thing I do want to point out, because I've watched other people try to wing it playing this game, and you kind of figure out the keys, like space bar fires and you know arrow keys moving around. But one thing a lot of people miss is that the shift arrow keys will allow you to spin left and right twice as fast as normal, and that's critical to play the game well. So I know a lot of people don't read directions, um, even though you know for Gate Crasher, I think he printed the entire directions on the disc label it or the disc it was jacket on the itself. Disc, yeah yeah so it wasn't that much to read but people still didn't read that so the instructions are now available with the download of yeah, the game it, on it's on my web page yeah so where you download the game you can also download instructions and a little bit of history too uh nick was inspired to make this game as the very first 3D perspective game that isn't like fixed, like Daggerath or Phantom Slayer or some of these other games uh, back in the day you would basically just have you know straight angles this actually lets you do the smooth panning back and forth as you're moving around. And that was based on uh, Sockmaster John Kowalski, who's mentioned on the credit screen, if you want to bring that up there, Ken. Um, he did the 3D algorithm for the demo Gloom, which he originally released a few years earlier. Originally, the first Gloom ran a little slow, took 512K, but it worked. I mean, you could run around a 3D perspective maze, and then Sock improved it afterwards to run a 120K and a lot faster, like probably three to four times faster. And then uh, Nick decided, you know, we can make a game out of this. And then he you know, he added in, you know, the different uh, types of people that you're fighting against, uh, or not fighting against, but different people you encounter. So you got the suits, which are the people you're seeing on the screenshot right here. They you, Those you have to kill. And then you've also got the programmers, which are the white-shirted guys. And then you've also got to destroy PCs. And, and don't uh, kill the programmers. Doors. Yeah, don't kill the programmers. Yeah, yeah. I've always said that because I'm one of them, but um, I'm, I'm not going to ruin anything, but there's also a boss at the end that you have to. Yeah. Yes. I'm well, big boss. There's, there's five, five levels of maps here. Now that Nick, you have the maps on your site, I believe. Yeah. On the website, I do have uh, all the maps and the maps show you where all the objects are in what rooms and, and where all the uh, enemies start from because they start walking around. So they don't stay in that same place. But certainly all the objects, where all the computers are, where all the uh, ammo recharges are, uh, they're kits. on the maps. Yeah. So, yeah, you should be able to. It makes it easier anyway. It'll remind you of a, a, a lower res Wolfenstein 3D is basically. Like, it is, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I remember I had exited the Coco community back in the um, or mid, mid-90s. And I came back because that's when uh, 
I saw um, Sockmaster's Gloom, and that inspired me. I thought, gee, this is this is good. Uh, I didn't realize they were still doing things on the Coco, so that got me back into the Coco back then in the late late 90s and uh because of of gloom and there was all this you know talk that the the coco is too slow to do 3d uh, and, and Sockmaster proved them wrong then the big argument was okay so you've done a demo i bet you can't do a game then the coco is too slow so i took took the um challenge and i thought okay well uh, along with Sockmaster telling me all the maths and everything involved in doing the 3D, uh, I'll put a full game together. And Gate Crasher is yep, the outcome. Did it say sound effects in there and multiple levels? Yeah, it's multiple. got two channel sound. Yeah, I've tried to put as many of the um, Gate Cra- uh, Wolfenstein elements in there, like the gun in front of you, and it, it bobs bobs around and you get the re- the what do you call it the um reload sound effects from yeah, uh, yeah yeah the gun reload sound i tried to make it um as best i could it's not perfect it was um well the best i could do at the time um the a few problems with the the 3d engine and um uh, is that it has a bit of a fisheye look to it the way the al the algorithm works, gives a bit of a fisheye look. So one day I'd like to do another 3D type game that gets rid of the, the um, fisheye effect. Yeah, and that's something Remy has demoed on both. Yeah, he's got, he's this got one a... Wolfenstein one where it's solid colored walls where you can walk around. You can actually change the viewing angles and stuff too. And then he also did the yeah. texture map one that I did a 6 on patch for. So the Coco could do it. But it was a, a learning experience for me, and uh, Gate Crasher was uh, the outcome. Of course, I had to do it in lower resolution than what the Gloom engine was, um, because the Gloom engine just had to do the 3D environment. Um, when you start throwing in things like sound effects and gameplay and all that other stuff, it does. Uh, it's a bit of a burden on the on the Coco then. So I thought, well, the best way to to get around that is to drop the resolution so that you're not pushing as much graphics. So that's how it was done. Yeah, it's a really good game. It's actually one of the first ones I think I bought for me when you came back to the... Yeah, yeah. I got I to say, I bought the game around the 2001 timeframe. And I was, yeah, that was when I, was when I did blown, it. I was blown away. I was like, wow, holy cow, this is amazing. So great job, Nick. Now, not many people have actually gone up to the top of uh, into level five where the... Uh, as I called it, the CEO uh, is. And uh, that's quite novel, that, actually. It's quite, uh, well, that might be quite interesting. Now, yeah, I won't say anything. We'll leave this for next next week. So hopefully a few people will play it uh, in the game challenge through the week and we'll get to that that uh, end boss. I'm and sure Buck Owens, to, Buck Owens will probably yeah, post a video. <laughs> it, it would be good to get that recorded. I don't have a video recording of the end boss. Um, people will recognize the end boss instantly. There's no doubt, no doubt about that. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll talk more about that next week. So there you go for game on next week. We will have the author of the game, Nick Marionettes. <laughs> <laughs>
And uh, uh, Kieran, I don't know if have you tested Gatecrasher on X Four with the new Coco Three support? Is that one that works? I think it works. I think yeah, I've tested I tested that. It does, yeah. Cool. There's lots of options to play now. If you have a real Coco Three with at least five twelve K, it'll run there. You can play it on X Four. You can play it on Mame. You can play it on VCC. So. Oh, and there's one other thing I'll mention that might, people might get a kick out of when they're playing it. If you can destroy three, um, I think it was three bosses in a, in a row in quick succession. Three suits, yeah. Three suits uh, in a row in quick succession, your player goes woohoo, um, Simpson style. So, yeah, I used to get a kick out of trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Now that I've accomplished, I haven't done the boss, but I've, I've actually done that. Yeah, done, yeah. So. All right. So, well, I guess that's all for the game on challenge this week. Yeah. So, like I said, it'll be, be Thursday. What time are you starting the uh, live stream? Just so we can let people know to join. Thursday at seven p.m. It'll be the same regular time. Okay. And so. I'll be posting a link to the game for, to Nick's. Uh, page for downloading the game in discord you want, can you post it in uh, one of the chats too just so that people I will, aren't on discord yeah i can do that here right away i just gotta i'm on a one screen computer right now so <clears throat> oh geez how do you live yeah i know <laughs> it's my work computer so yeah i don't so, even do that on the coco that's why i got nitrous nine i have lots of screens yeah <laughs> yeah bone, bones and stone knives and such yeah. <laughs> are we ready for the game on news yes so we'll, i'll just mention we're going to do a couple quick normal stories quote unquote and then we're gonna have the round table on some games in development so Okay, there you go. Hey, right, so we're going through a couple of quick stories here, game related, before we get into the game roundtable. So the first one is actually from Tim Lindner, and he's been doing this series. It's just been starting. A, like this was episode six. I think he just released episode seven. So this is basically him and his sister AJ, and they go back through some of the games of their youth. Some happen to be Coco. Some are in television. So it, it's a, a wide variety, and they basically play head to head, and, and hilarity ensues. Basically, is what happens. And you also get to learn, you know, if AJ gets really frustrated, she swears like a sailor. So I will warn you about that up, up front here. But uh, in this particular case, I decided to play wildcatting, just not a game. I, you know, many people play that much there, but uh, it, it's fun watching the, watching the siblings. And the actual series is called Sibling Rivalry, and it's a weekly weekly show. So uh, if you haven't subscribed to Tim Linder's uh, YouTube channel, it's definitely worth checking out. How do I know when I'm winning? <laughs> It'll, there you go. Yeah, you, you've hit oil. I hit oil. Did I hit enough oil to pay my bills? Okay, now that it's done drawing, you can hit the button once, uh -huh. and you can. I lost money, even though I hit oil. All right, well, of course you lost money. It was the first. It was week number one. That well cost you nine hundred ninety dollars. Uh-huh. Every week, uh, you're paying eight hundred ninety dollars of taxes. Okay. And this first week, um, the income on that well was fifteen hundred dollars. Okay. So right now, you're minus P and L. Um, is 990 but um, it should make money it next should make week. money next week okay 
Okay, so you don't you definitely don't want to sell that well. All right. So you want to go down to the bottom and choose next player. Just hey, I'll let you guys go watch the thing. He's done uh, I think one other Coco game earlier, which I think I did cover briefly on the news, but it's it's a fun series. It's just fun people watching people revisit games from the 70s and the 80s on these older consoles, older computers. But it was also really fun watching siblings who, you know, probably, you know, battled in these games back in the back in the day are doing it again now. 30, 40 years later, and it's it's kind of a fun take on things. So I know the one they released after this was one of the Intellivision racing games, and it was fun watching AJ gradually learn how to steer with the Intellivision disc thing. because uh, she was pretty horrible at it at the beginning, but she got better as, as the game went on. And you know, so they didn't start running each other off the road and stuff like things. So it's it's a lot of fun. So definitely go check that out if you haven't if you haven't checked out Tim Linder's page, because we've covered his page before when he does, you know, main development videos and, and, and you know, Coco how to set up, you know, Nitrostein back in the old days on a floppy drive and that kind of stuff. But it generally does technical stuff, but this is a bit more fun. Next up after that, we got Jim Gary who decided, and he's actually busy. I actually asked him on to talk about some of the MC10 stuff he's been working on. And unfortunately right now he's really busy marking papers for his students. Um, this is kind of exam week type thing. So he doesn't really have much time to do much. So they got the one game out here which I think some of you will recognize uh, if you use the Chrome browser and you also recognize if you did our game on challenge not too long ago for the Coco uh, that Paul uh, Fiscarelli did, but this is the MC10 version. Which I thought for low res, this actually looks pretty good. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, is funny. Jeez, cactus between the legs. That ain't great. Yeah, that's not good. Oh. You ever had that happen to you in Australia? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> no, obviously, at this low res, he can't you know, give you a long range of what you can see ahead, and he doesn't do the scrolling mountains and stuff in the background, but it's actually pretty, pretty decent, the animations and speed. Yeah. And it will run in 4K, no memory expansion required. So, I, mean, I thought that was kind of cute. <laughs> uh, next up, I wanted to plug. So, this is part of the Game on Challenge stuff here. So, this is uh, Rasculus, who's a fairly recent member of our Discord, I believe, that's been taking part in these uh, Game on Challenges recently. And he's actually did a video of uh, Megabug, which is the previous game. And I wanted to give him a bit of a shout out because he actually took the time to record and put an intro and stuff on. So I'll play a few seconds of that, but hopefully he'll be doing videos of some of the other games as time progresses as well. And this is on a, a real CRT. It's got the wrong uh, phase coloring. I think it's the right phase. I think everybody else is wrong, including the designer. No, no, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we need red no, fire ants. Yeah, there's no blue bugs. That's just time. But technically, yeah, you're right, because that's what the other versions did. Well, all the other versions are blue, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to give a shout out to Rasculus there, and uh, hopefully he'll continue making videos like this that he can post up with some of the games. Um, and uh, Sloopy, has he taken part in the live stream ones? Is Sloopy available right now? I can't tell. So. Yes, I've seen him in the live. Oh, okay. Uh, Rasculus, yes. Cool. So hopefully we can, uh, can encourage him to make more videos like this, and then Ken can mix up some of his video displays for the, uh, the game on challenge here and have different players each week or something to, to pick from. 
Oh, we had Coco Man for the first time this week. So it's the first time I've seen him post a game. game yeah, and it sounds video. like with, with the, the change of schedule to Thursday, so he'll have more time to come on and, and do that too. So you might actually get him on more often, which could be a plus or a minus, I guess, depending on your opinion of Coco Man. No, I'm just kidding. So yes, do, <laughs> do post gameplay videos in uh, Discord so that I can use them during the Game On Challenge. Cool. So that, that's the end of what I would term the regular Game On news. Now... One thing that came up here yesterday, because I knew there was a couple of game presentations of, of projects in development that were going to be coming on. I thought, you know, since I got a few of these and it's getting close to Christmas and, you know, when we were kids, what was the thing you really wanted for Christmas was new, new games for the Coco type thing. So I know there's a lot of projects on the go. So I tried contacting a bunch of developers. Now, this is very late. I did this like literally yesterday afternoon. So obviously it wasn't enough time for some people to um, have anything ready or some people just didn't have anything updated since we last talked to them. Uh, others, you know, just weren't available in that short of notice type thing. So, but we did manage to get a fair number of people to come on. And uh, before we get into the live roundtable, I got a couple that uh, aren't able to make it, but did have, you know, new stuff put out this week uh, with updates to some of their game projects or, you know, videos and screenshots type things. So I'll cover a couple of those briefly, and then we'll get into the actual live talking to people that will actually demo these games that are coming up or getting updates, et cetera. So the first one here I wanted to show is uh, Sheldon McDonald, who's doing working on the hockey game called Ice Brawlers. And uh, we did show a little bit of this last week, and it's one that requires the Coco PSG, which is the Ed Snyder sound card that also includes some other features on it, like Flash RAM. Um, so he's got a screenshot of the little Flash RAM where it tells you where you should plug in your, 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 head, or your headphones or your uh, speakers in here, because this will actually be using the sound chip on there. And then he also posted some updated screenshots. And here's the actual title screen. And you got one or two players. The Sam Accelerator is a Brendan Donahue project. That's the same guy does Coco VJ. This game will run on the Coco VJ. The Sam Accelerator is needed to get full speed. This is a, a hardware modification that allows the Coco 1 and 2 to run at the full 2 megahertz speed, same as the Coco 3 does, but without screwing up RAM refresh, without screwing up the screen refresh, which normally does happen which is why on the Coco 1 2, we normally use the poke that only does the ROM speed up and leaves the RAM alone. Uh, and then he has a sound test to make sure that you've got your sound card configured correctly and that you've got the speakers plugged in, et cetera. So he's got that screenshot there. And there he's actually got a little splash screen that uh, mentions the Coco VGA and the Coco PSG. This will work on the Coco 3 as well, I should mention. And then here's some uh, gameplay video with sound, hopefully. And change it to higher. Yeah. He doesn't have scoring in here yet, but he has got it so you can ricochet the puck off the walls and fly around. So he was actually hoping on having a further video beyond this because he's done some more work on it since, but he just didn't have time. So unfortunately, and he wasn't able to make it today. So he couldn't do it live, but that, that's a project that's dear to my heart because we've had a couple hockey games on the Coco way back in the early 80s, and quite frankly, they weren't the cream of the crop. Um, but this one looks really good, and of course, it's it's good to have support for the Coco VJ and the Coco 3, so you're getting 16-color graphics even on a Coco 1 and 2. So it's yet another reason to, to go out and get a Coco VJ besides all the other reasons that we already have. And then the second one that couldn't make it is uh, Paris Rad and, and um, Van Keese. Uh, what's his first name? Keys, or sorry, Keys Van Austin. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, no, we featured Pera last week, 
he's been getting back into doing the AGD game updates. And the AGD, of course, is the Spectrum-based gaming engine uh, that you can actually create your own games with. And uh, he released a whole bunch of these, over 200 games he ported a few years back. And he's done, uh, lately, he's done some new ones using the Super Sprite FM Plus board to support the 16-color mode, the sprites, and the, the hardware sound. Um, as, as demos, he's got a few that you can download there if you have a Super Sprite board. But he's also gone back because since two years ago when he last did this, a whole bunch of new AGD games have been released on the Specky. So now he and uh, Ben Reese are actually going through and porting all the new ones that came out in the last two years. So this is the second pack of six. And they're going alphabetically. So last week was all A's. This week it's B's and a couple of C's. So we've got many more to go. I think he said he's got at least seven more packs of six still planned coming out over the next... Uh, and he's planning on doing this weekly here. So expect a ton more games and i would love to maybe have a few people try some of these out and then see if we can pick some cream of the crop ones uh from these newer releases there and maybe have them as you know game on you can suggest to ken as a game on uh challenge type thing because i don't think we've ever done one of these as a game on challenge before so it'd be nice to maybe pick you know one of the better ones so i just thought i'd go through a couple of these here he's actually got the screenshots up and you can download those on the world of dragon archive directly from the forums you can get the dragon version you can get the coco versions the long name versions are the ones for emulators where it has a lengthy file name describing the game. The short ones are meant for the Cocoa SDC. So the first one here is Bandito. And I don't, I've never tried these, so I don't really know what, uh, what the gameplay is actually like, but they're mostly platformers because that's what the AGD engine is kind of designed to do. Here's Bulletstorm with a really nice title page, I thought. Some of the instruction screens there. Now, as far as I know, the AGD engine, I don't believe supports scrolling, at least I've never seen it. So I don't know if this is supposed to scroll, which would be new, or if it's, you know, fly around on this particular screen and don't like run into buildings and rescue things or shoot things or whatever. That's one of the other screens on me as well. There's Bunny's Big Adventure. This looks more like a typical platform with one of these two. Collect the Golden Marshmallow. I think that would hurt my teeth, but I'll, I'll, I'd try it. This is Bunny Fox. So basically there's two bunny games here in the series. This is Ch Chiquito, which I'm not really sure what that, what that game is. And then there's another one with a fairly nice tile screen called Code, Code 112. Like the little digitized picture of the style phone there. And a nice fancy font. This one looks a bit more intricate. So this one, I'm kind of curious what this one one's like, to be honest. And I don't know, maybe this is another Mastermind game. You know, Nick might even like this one. Hey, I can play that one. <laughs> but it looks pretty good. Anyway, you can go download those. And like I said, Perez is actually planning on releasing these once a week for at least the next seven weeks beyond the two packs. He's already released six games per pack. So that's you know nine packs in total, averaging six games per. So that's over 50 games. That'll be coming out for the Coco and the Dragons, Coco 1 and 2 and Dragon 3264. So uh, go grab them on the World of Dragon archive and uh, try them out. And maybe after all the packs released, we can have uh, all the viewers pick a couple cream of the crop games, send them off to Ken. And uh, maybe we'll have a game on challenge based on a couple of these sometime early in the new year. Okay, so that's the two updates of the people that couldn't make it onto the show. And um, 
now we've got a bunch of guests here that will be demoing some stuff live. Um, I'm not sure if anybody wants to go any order. Does anybody that has uh, going to be demoing a game update today, do they need to get out soon that we should put you first? Uh, speak now or forever hold your peace. Nick, speaking, you, uh, speaking of which, I, I, I need to take off actually myself. So uh, I'll, I'll uh, catch the rest of the show later, guys. Um, but have a good one. Yeah. And there's only two Bye-bye. hours left on Mr. Dave's uh, Kickstarter. So probably. Oh, no, it's like an hour, hour and 10 minutes left. Okay. Okay. So do you want to do yours first then, uh, Dave? Sure. I wouldn't mind. Okay. And as far as uh, Steve and Karen, because I know it's a bit later there, do you guys have any hard outs I need to worry about or? No, no, I'm fine. Okay. So I will stop sharing and let Mr. Dave give an update on his game and hardware. It's actually a game and a hardware project combined. Yeah. Okay. So we'll start. Let's see if I can get this, uh, some video working. And where is video? Never seen a blank sort of brownish screen at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking for that little button. Damn it. It's there. It's just coming. Here we go. So we're in my game at the moment. I'll turn off some glare, maybe. Okay, so we have a cockpit where you can work all your controls. And we have an external satellite view that sort of follows your ship around. Uh, we lost all the colors, eh? There was that. I need to set up screen sharing. Anyway, you may be seeing the video. So you have your ship. Now you can see my sprite engine is pretty efficient. I can go behind stuff. I have pretty much unlimited amounts of sprites. I can get working. Um, I have real MP3 sound. I have, you know, your lasers and all that stuff. Now, this, this, this different... is a game that you're actually doing a, a sort of a graphics accelerator MP3 player on a separate hardware card, which is one of the reasons you did the Kickstarter, correct? Yeah, this game is set to work on, it's set to work on Windows. It's, it's coming supplied with the uh, VCC emulator. So if you buy the game from me within the next whatever hour, um, it'll be on an SD card or digital download, and you'll get to play it you know, straight up. So it's written in uh, 6309 on a Coco 3. Sorry, I lost my Zoom. Stop video. Okay. Now I was working on this and I have a project of a video card. And a lot of people are asking me, okay, will we get to play this on a real Coco? And because I'm doing some tricks using uh, faster graphics and MP3 and wave sounds that we're gonna need my card here. So this is ordered and I should have it within a few days and start building it. So this is my project for the 
multimedia card for Coco 1, 2, and 3. So it'll let games like the one I'm playing right now, it'll let you play those kind of games, it'll let you make your own games, even from basic running at full speed, and allow multiplayer, um, parallax scrolling, tile map based games. Uh, you'll be able to save your basic programs right on the cart, so you won't even need a multi-pack or anything. So my project that I'm doing, um, the funding is going into this. Into the hardware. Yeah, the funding is going into the hardware project. So I have a few games on the go. And... Here's an example of we'll be able to take sprites and tile maps and whatever and build yourself a game. And I'm going to have the hardware handle all the complicated stuff, collision. Um, if your character runs into a, a, an item, it, it will know what to do. You won't have to pre-program every little detail. Find some more images here. Here's some uh, screenshots from my casino game where you have live action slots, horse racing, uh, roulette. You can, you can see the game on the RGB monitor. This one was running fine on Coco 3. I just need to boost the. Um, sound capabilities. It's another shot from the roulette table on my casino game. Now I'm not programming all the uh, drawings myself. That's a lot of work I don't really have time for it. So I've been picking up graphics from this artist and porting them to Coco. So these are characters you're going to see in my game, along with uh, <clears throat> some of my friends here at Coco Talk. And yeah, one was just mentioning himself in chat there. How was he? Yeah, because Jeremy Landry asked, "Is Aaron still going to be a character?" And Aaron responds, of course I am. My face moves units, brother. Yeah, well, Aaron has signed up to be the uh, big villain of the game. So that should be a lot of fun. I think I have that shot here somewhere. Yeah, that's from my um, website on the Kickstarter. So the well, game is a space adventure, yeah. And... <laughs> It's really inspired from TV shows like Firefly. So we're going to have a lot of comedy mixed in with the action. I have to say Aaron does look sufficiently evil there with red eyes and all. <laughs> yeah, I the red eyes. a little redder than looks evil uh, all the time. Needed. So, so Boat, did you want to be in the game too? Like, is this some of your... Well, you know, I, 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 Mr. Dave did approach me. Unfortunately, uh, I, you know, being a being a teacher of the youngsters, uh, I, I can't run the risk of uh, them getting the wrong idea with me hanging out in a casino with all of these buxom lasses. So uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to give them a hard pass on that one. Although I do appreciate the effort, and I have already uh, pre-ordered the game. 
Yeah, thanks. Yeah, well, that uh, I I did uh, contact Boat uh, probably back in February concerning my casino game. Uh, this one is going to be a little more family friendly than the, the casino one. The casino one will be, I mean, it's up to you. If you want to play it as a good person, well, you know, it's going to turn out good. Yeah, that one's more like a Dungeons and Dragons where you can follow your character's attributes and you'll be chaotic evil or whatever. Mm -hmm. But by the way, uh, uh, Boat, I don't know if you saw the comment in the chat from Aaron. He said, Boat's not evil enough. So, <laughs> Dave in there. Yeah, he can be the weasel. Stay lad. So, uh, Dave, just a question yeah. for you then. Or actually, a couple questions. Like, as, first of all, do you have any rough idea what the cart is going to cost for people to get either as part of a game or to get to do their own development on? And then, two, do you have any idea? I know it's hard to predict with chip shortages and stuff here. As to when do you think this will be ready for release, if you have any clue? Yeah, well, I have some special buffer chips, and and I ordered special chips. It it made it a little bit harder to do the um, to do the the layout of the card. But I tried to use economical chips that I can I can get on a uh, on an easy basis. Uh, my card should arrive next week. <laughs> Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people in the game. We have uh, Sloopy, Mark Overholzer, Curtis, Stevie. Stevie's going in, uh, lots of girls uh, from my anime stuff. So it's going to be a riot. Uh, I'm using a hard drive image that um, Henry Dreidfeld set me, set me up with. So I just load tons of stuff into the Cocoa. And uh, I mean, that machine is great for graphics, just not so great for sound. Yeah, but that's where my card here is going to take care of that because uh, we'll be able to, like I said, you know, first load, load your background image, load your parallax if you have some clouds moving, uh, put your different tile maps on your screen, and then whatever sprites and stuff that you want, and the card will set it all up for you and have one image ready for the Coco to display. So, I mean, the Coco can definitely draw. Uh, screen very well but when you start one sprite the next sprite the next sprite the next sprite things start to slow yeah and multi-level backgrounds everything else it's a it's a bit cpu intensive yeah so if you want to play an mp3 or a wave it's going to be as easy as one poke and you'll you don't need any special software on the coco yeah everything is going to be on the card ready for you if you want to write an assembly or whatever language you want no problem. We'll be able to save from basic right to the card, so no multi-pack needed. Uh, we should be able to do multiplayer games, um, maybe Bluetooth controller, you know, whatever, uh, whatever you want. And you'll be able to pick on the screen. Your your Coco will have the window, and then you can just move it around. You know, uh, Steve Bjork taught me how to work on the screen scrolling and you might have seen my basic demo i did that before yeah. but i'm taking that information simplifying it to just okay for the screen plus one on the x you know or minus one you'll be able to move around very easily
Yeah, it looks awesome, and 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 then you know it'll sound awesome with both MP3 and web support. Um, and but of course, it'll have, have Evil Aaron in there too, so that's always a bonus. But does it have a real time clock? <laughs> yes, it does. Of course, it has a real time <laughs> clock. Yeah, we'll be able to do everything that the that the ESP thirty uh, two can do, and uh, more. So here's an overview of my Kickstarter project. It ends in less than one hour. Yeah, and all the, as you mentioned before, all the money goes for the hardware development to, to get the card made, et cetera. So, yeah, hardware development and during the game development, um, you know, fellow programmers will know when when you start programming. So maybe it didn't work. I, I tried working on it after work, after supper, nothing happened. Then, oh, around eleven o'clock at night, I got an idea, and I started coding, and this went on until two in the morning. So the next day, well, we'll just have to skip work, you know. So sometimes work interferes with life and sometimes life can, can miss some work. So uh, yeah, I ran the Kickstarter to let's get all these projects uh, funded and, and working again. But it's been a lot of fun. And I'm really happy for the uh, support that uh, mostly the guys on uh, the, the viewers of the show and the Discord have uh, chipped in for. Well, it's definitely a worthwhile project. I mean, the fact that you can do a lot of the stuff from basic with simple pokes and stuff that uh, I, you can see some basic games for some people that just, you know, don't have the the time to learn assembly language, et cetera, and, be, would, and would love to write a game, but just, you know, can't take the time to learn the intricacies of the processor and the gimme chip, et cetera, to have something just, you know, poke a bunch of tile data in and then just poke, you know, the XY start where within a viewable window that you want to view and have it handle all the animations and overlapping sprites and everything else like that. And then playing, you know, a, multi-track uh, musical background and then you know digital sound effects and, and none of it takes any cpu time really and it just to set it that's up right. and then um, basically you can do it on basic and write an incredible arcade game in basic so that's yeah i'm, I'm programming it sort of standalone that if if you have something in motion you, you don't have to do anything it will stay in motion um you, you don't have to every screen decide where things go it's going to stay until you change it if your sprite is flying across the screen, well, when you say stop, it'll stop. If you change, um, it will automatically animate. As you're walking, it's going to switch through the animation so you have moving. So we'll just load up the tile maps, load up your backgrounds. We can easily change backgrounds with, with one poke. Oh, new background, you know. And parallax effects is really cool. I've already done it on the Coco 3 without the accelerator, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, my buddy Taz, he's working on a lot of stuff, uh, for, especially for the Coco 1 and 2. He's working right now on ray casting. Which okay, so allow... doing some 3D stuff then. Yep. I, I really don't see much of a limit uh, to this card. Hopefully. I can see games like Star Fox being played on Coco 1 16K with wow. 3D and sound. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's pretty awesome. Cool, so there's a little bit of time left in, on the, on the uh, Kickstarter. So uh, if you're able to post that in, in one of the chats, like YouTube or something, or if somebody can post that in there so that uh, people watching the show live can get to it, because obviously it'll be too late by the time people watch this recording like tomorrow or something to, to join in on that. But uh, looks awesome, gonna, I'm looking forward to it. It's not gonna make the end of the show. 
<laughs> yeah, and anyway, it's going to end during the show. That'll be exciting. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank, thanks, Mr. Dave, for the update. And uh, thanks for coming on for our impromptu little game developer special. And I think we'll go on to the next presenter now. All right, thanks. So I don't know if anybody wants to go in particular. Do we want to do with the people in the UK first since it's later? I think it's what about six, seven o'clock there. Uh, yeah, I can go next if uh, that's all right. Hey, go ahead, Steve. Steve Bamford. Okay. Um, I'm going to try and share my screen. Uh, Curtis, you said you can. Oh, okay. So you can share an app. You just see the app in the choice of uh, yeah. Yeah. stuff. Okay. Because that's a bit easier. Just make sure you click that share sound. Yeah. Okay. Is that actually working? Oh, I'm sharing a folder view. Folder. <laughs> okay. Called XRAW. <laughs> All right. Let's try again. Okay. I've got it this time. There we go. Yeah. Yep. Extended color base. So you can see that. Okay. So uh, when Curtis uh, invited me to join uh, tonight, I wasn't entirely sure what I was going to say. And uh, Curtis just said, well, there's a lot of people who haven't actually seen it yet. So I figured, okay, we'll just. Um... Yeah, because you, you've posted some videos in Discord, but not everybody that watches the show yeah. in, in the co-community is on Discord. So they've not seen anything except for the Dragon special. You showed in like some of the development of the sprite tiles and stuff like that. Right. You showed stills, but nobody's actually seen, or those people have not seen the game actually run. What is or the, heard game? the music or anything yeah. else. Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the nice things about XRAW one of the many nice things is uh, I, you can define uh, a cartridge. So when I boot XRAW, when I look down the list of all these, uh, like Dragon DOS and that, way down at the bottom, I've got my cartridge. So I can just click on that. And you'll notice as well, uh, this is something I added very recently where it's detecting whether it's running NTSC or PAL. Um, that was something I added very recently just because it was getting annoying to me that depending if I was going to be showing the game on either system, I, there's certain things I had to change each time. I just decided enough was enough. So uh, I asked you how he would do it. And he said, well, he hadn't done it before, but the way he would do it would be to time a frame. And then depending on how long it took, you could determine whether you were running at 60 hertz or 50 hertz. So that's, that's new anyway. Um, I'll just let the game, <clears throat> excuse me, just run its attract sequence for a moment uh, while I just uh, mention some of the things I'm doing at, at this exact moment in time. So after um, after the meetup uh, in Cambridge, the thing that the takeaway for me is that I needed to sort of consolidate it a little bit. There was a there's a, there's a lot of things going on, and it was starting to feel very complicated. Um, so I'm starting to uh i don't know if you've heard in like modern game design circles people talk about complexity versus depth where complexity is like the burden on the player who's trying to play your game and then depth is like the i don't know like the possibility space so you want minimum uh, complexity and maximum depth and that that's so that's what i'm trying to address at the minute so uh for instance i've got a power up like a magic feather that when you collect it, you can just jump a little bit higher, which allows you to catch the stars at the top of the screen. Um, and then I had another, I've got another power up plan, which is like speedy boots that just allows you to run a bit faster. And I just thought when you look at the amount of uh, power ups that I've got, 
it's, it's a lot and it's probably overload for people who just want to have fun. So, well, you know, the feather and the speedy boots, that could just become one power up, which is allows you to jump higher and run faster uh, just for a limited time before it wears off again. So I'm just, I'm just trying to go through and just trying to take some stuff out and then just increase the usefulness of other things. So another example might be the, um, the magic wand. Uh, originally, the use for that was to turn uh, the pig back into a pirate again. So the idea is that all your crew have been turned into pigs. Uh, if you've, if you've ever read this uh, um, name escapes me now you know the Greek myth with Circe and Odysseus you know the Odyssey basically um, all his crew get turned into pigs so that's kind of what's happened here so the original use of the wand was to turn your your the pig back into a pirate but then I thought oh you know if you go up to a locked chest and you don't have any keys you should be able to use the wand to unlock the chest and then I just started thinking, well, you know, why can't the wand be used on, on a lot of things? So that's an example of where I'm trying to sort of limit the number of power-ups, but increase the uses of, of those power-ups. So anyway, I'll, um, I'll sort of just start the game. So it's, it's not really that representative at the minute. The distribution of everything, the way the graphics are presented, is, is more work to be done. This just gives you a general idea. So there's the magic feather. So now I can jump higher. I can pick this barrel up and smash it. So there's good stuff in there. There's a key. So if I encounter any locked chest now, I've got a key to open them with. The meter at the very top of the screen is probably the most important thing on the screen. That uh, You've got to fill that with gold or treasure. Um, and that's how you progress to the next level. The meter at the bottom of the screen, your bonus is ticking down. Um, uh. <laughs> so the, the, the bonus meter ticks down, and when it reaches zero, you kind of lose a life. But when you take a hit from an enemy, you, you kind of lose a big chunk of it. So you've got to keep that topped up. And the way you do that is to collect fruit. So it's great there. So certain stars will produce certain um, pickups. So you can kind of prioritize if you're really low on bonus prioritize the stars that are going to drop fruit just top yourself up otherwise you can prioritize gold which is these sort of yellowy stars um that's a pickup so that's a lucky cat so any kind of look elements in the game behind the scenes will go in the player's favor so you might get the premium pickup when there's a random pickup generated or you might uh, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of stuff like coin tosses, if you like, going on in code, and it'll always come down in your favour. Um, there's a crab, so occasionally the loot spawns a crab, so you've got to be careful. Um, each stage is themed, so this one's kind of icy. So this one will have like a mechanic where instead of stopping on the sixpence, you can, when you stop and start, you'll slide around, so that just adds to it, and there'll be other stuff. Each stage will have unique enemies, unique music, um, there'll be kind of set dressing, what I call set dressing, like icy things in the back, you know, in the background just to make it more interesting. Um, I don't know, I could rattle on all night, but I guess, uh, <laughs> is there anything you want to specifically know about it? I, I do want to mention, this actually has the uh, GMC cartridge sound chip, so when you, uh, right. when you actually start selling this, it'll have that hardware to play this background music without yeah. slowing the game down. 
Yeah, that's right. It, it actually started purely as a stock 32 uh, Dragon game using the CPU to generate sound. And I actually got so far with that. And then uh, I noticed John's uh, card and I thought, thought about it. I thought that would be quite cool to release something that I'd made on a cartridge. And then um, Kieran went ahead and actually added emulation to XRAW. So that enabled me to sort of spend a good year of development just seeing if I could actually get to grips with the cartridge and the sound, little sound chip on it, which I did without too much trouble. So then after that, I, uh, I decided, well, if I'm going to show this game now, I actually need a cartridge. So I contacted John and he, uh, he sent me like a developer's cartridge. Um, I paid for it, I hasten to add. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, and uh, I bought a little uh, little burner to burn uh, the the game onto onto chips, and so that's what I take to Cambridge now. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so this, this... I ask you, uh, how how did uh, how was the reception for it at, at Cambridge? Like, how many people had never seen it before and got to see it for the first time? And what did they think? Uh, it's quite it's quite a few people. I mean, I think probably other people have said this to you, but the Cambridge event isn't nearly as big as your Coco Fest. Uh, so there's not nearly as many people, um, but yeah, there was still quite a few. I mean, obviously, uh, Stu and Kieran were there, Mike Miller, um, Simon Hardy had a go on it. Uh, there was people just wandering in and out uh, who had just come to visit the museum who came and had a go because, you know, oh, what's that game? You know, I haven't seen that before. So they were asking you questions. And I'd say by and large, people definitely like the look of the game. Um, I think the gameplay... Uh, once I've explained it to them, they like the gameplay as well. The problem is, is like, if I'm not stood next to you explaining it, then what? So this is partly why the takeaway for me is like, okay, you have to simplify to, it a bit. Yeah. You've got to simplify it, but not lose any of the kind of fun elements to it. Um, my, my approach to developing this game has has really just been um, from the beginning. It was just like a routine. I, I just wanted a really fast routine to screen clip the sides of the screen. And once I'd come up with that, uh, I just started playing around with it and just adding more things. And it was so it was never really a game from the beginning. It was just like a, an evolution of an idea. And that's probably why it's, uh, it's, it's taking forever. I don't have a design for it. I don't have a template for it. I just play it. And then I, sit, I think to myself, oh, you know what would be really cool is if you could do this or if you could do that. So like some of the more recent ones, like you can pick the you can pick, you know, most things up and throw them and then i decided oh yeah you could pick the pig up and throw the pig why not and then it was like well what happens if you threw the pig through the air would it hit the stars would you expect the stars to sort of pop and drop the loot and you know what i mean so it's it's kind of like uh i just keep playing it and then thinking well what else would be good but i am actually getting to the point as well where i actually want to be rid of it and start on something new so i'm trying not to add too many tasks now to my trello board um and, and you know, like I say, just just trying to hone it now. Just I, I feel like I've I've got everything I need. I just need to hone it and into a polished uh, game. So that that's pretty much what I'm doing. Cool. And actually, we'll be we're talking about this something similar with uh, Nick when we get to his because he's actually been refining some of his levels for the same thing. You play test it a bit, and you go, ah, yeah, it'd be kind of better if we did this. You know? Yeah, I, I I've sort of been reluctant to put it in front of too many people while I can see so many things that I don't like with it because <laughs> um, they're just going to tell me what I already know. But when it gets to the point where I feel it's, it's it, a lot, of, you know, it's, it's mostly there, 
then then I'll yeah I'll definitely try and get other people to sort of play it and let me know what they think. No, I, I mean honestly, the, the the music tunes are great. The the uh, graphics, especially considering you're running like four colors and you're running a lower res too. I mean, they look awesome considering what you're working with there. Yeah, thank you. I, I suppose compared to some of the games from back in the day, these are much more what I would call pixeled, where you're actually thinking about the placement of each pixel. Whereas I think, to be fair, in 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 the early days. Um, a lot of the people who were developing games weren't necessarily uh, great artists or you know, wouldn't consider themselves good at the art side of it. So they would sort of err towards stick men and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I think that's possibly one of the differences. Um, that would have been me, actually. It <laughs> yeah. still led to a whole load of great games. I mean, crikey, you know, it's the gameplay that's it's important, isn't it? But... Uh, you know, yeah, it's uh, this. This is my wheelhouse. So my my profession is I'm a professional video games artist. I've been doing console and more recently mobile stuff for like 25 years or something. So the graphics is kind of what I'm comfortable with, but the coding is still fun because I don't code other than the hobby. So it's it it's nice to sort of have a change of headspace and do something completely different. But I couldn't, you know, I couldn't feed my family coding or I couldn't, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it to the level that you'd need to do it. To Yeah, you're not a Nick Randy's, you know, you know, fancy car level here. So. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know modern languages or anything like that. You know, I just, this, it, this is it, basically. So, so, but it sounds like now that you're actually honing it down and you're trying to simplify it so it's not too complex, yeah. but still has a lot of fun gameplay in it. It sounds like you're you're nearing the end now. Is yeah, that, is I that think correct? so. I think so. There's... There's some sort of like little pillars that I'm just working on now. So the first one is uh, if you uh, rescue the, the the pirate, the pig pirate, um, you basically unlock a mini uh, stage, like a like a bonus stage. So I just need to put in all the hooks for that so that when you get to the end of the stage and you get the little tally screen, it it tallies up how well you've done, rewards you and all this kind of stuff. Instead of just progressing into the next level, it'll say, oh, he actually rescued the pirate. Let's play this little pirate game. And that'll just be something really, really, really simple. But it's just a chance to score some bonus points. But if you die during that attempt, you don't lose a life. It's because you're playing as the little pirate. So it's just a, just a chance to uh, just to earn some extra points. So none of that's in, but that's kind of important. Uh, I think in a previous video on... Um, discord i shared the portal system so some of the power-ups or objects the loot objects that you collect will form sets sets of four so if you get four related items it'll unlock a like a magical door and then if you pass through it it'll take you to another stage which is essentially just going to be like a treasure hoard um so there's going to be three of those but i'm thinking about a fourth one uh which will be related to cuthbert so anybody who saw the footage from Cambridge will see that I kind of smuggled a little Cuthbert uh, <laughs> sprite in. So there was like seven Cuthbert games officially uh, from Microdeal, but they, they're essentially just games that were bought in or, you know, some of them were coded in this country and sent in for evaluation. And um, they were released as a series of games with Cuthbert on the, on the front cover, but you know when you look at them the player character is completely different in all of them and some of them are like two of them at least was were 
Ken Kalish games, so clearly nothing to do with Cuthbert. So I just thought yeah. it would be cool to sort of actually sit down and try and pixel the Cuthbert that looks like the one on the cover. Uh, so I might hide him in the game, and it might be a case of, you know, if you find Cuth, uh, sorry, four Cuthbert-related items, then you can unlock Cuthbert, and who knows, do something with that. Cool. Now, do you, do you know what the system requirements are going to be? Like, this will run on Dragon 32 or 64? Yeah, and it's yeah no, no, no. It's, it's really important because I had a Dragon 32 as a kid. It was really important that it, this just would, would run on a stock Dragon with no uh, modifications whatsoever. Uh, and that, you know, the GMC really helps with that because uh, when it boots off the cartridge, the first 16K bank is code. So that gets immediately copied into RAM and an execution is then from then on in, in RAM. So it means all my uh, self-modified code is totally fine. And then it flips uh, the ROM bank onto the second uh, bank, which currently is data. But uh, what I might do is actually use another bank purely for like audio data, because I want to have plenty of different audio. Like, every, like I said earlier, every uh, stage will have a different theme. So if, if it's an icy stage there'll be something that's suitably icy or if it's a spooky stage it'll be something spooky to, just to, to sort of you know really uh make something of the game that's a little bit special but um so i can do all that on the gmc but it you know you can just plug that cartridge into a bog standard dragon 32 and it'll just work which is i kind of like um and most most People have got Dragon 32s, 64s are kind of hard to come by, uh, and they're getting quite expensive as well. So that's uh, yeah, like our Cobra threes are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you very much for the presentation, and I'm, I'm I'm glad you got a chance to actually show the gameplay and kind of explain how you're simplifying it because that is something that is you, you you feature creep it to the point where you know anybody who's never seen it before looks at it and goes i don't even know what i'm doing yeah and so people and like you... to look at it but don't want to have a go on it because it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> complicated so i'm trying to address that yeah 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 that's part okay. of the fun of game design i guess hey, thank you very much and since you mentioned karen i think we'll do karen next hello the author of x roar himself who actually you know indirectly has helped with the development of uh island because of it yeah, well, tangentially. <laughs> uh, right, yeah, so mine is, my, my project is obviously a lot less complicated than Steve's. Um, but if you were listening to the Coco Crew podcast last time, you'll have heard Neil at the beginning suggest that the parts have come together to release a cartridge of Blockdown, which is obviously a falling blocks puzzle game that everybody's familiar with um it's another games master game i think it's i think john has respun the pcbs because it really doesn't need much space so it doesn't need any of the banking circuitry so maybe don't quote me on this maybe it'll be a bit cheaper than his his, his other gmc releases um i don't know where neil lists the games he has for sale but when I do, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll and we'll I, definitely mention it on the show. Yeah. I, I don't really have much else to say about it other than I'll, I'll give a little demo of, of what, what it looks like and what it sounds like. So I've got a paused game that hopefully I don't have to do too much more to, to 
demonstrate that it's got more than one tune in it. So I'll just play that a little bit. Here we go. Is that all right? You can hear that? Yep. yep. Lovely. This is so I will mention, like. for those of you who have played the various other Tetrises on the Coco, most of those are based on the original Tetris, and Karen's version here, Blockdown, actually has modern Tetris means of it. That's right. So so you've got things like it's got some settle time. If I, if I do that, it, it take, it'll take it sit at the bottom of the screen for a while. Um, if I bring that back in. You can swap a piece out um, if, you don't, if, if the one you've got isn't, you know, going to fit somewhere. Um, and... So hard and soft drop, etc., etc. Um, because you've got a little bit of settle time, and because oh, I can't really demonstrate it with that one. Uh, where, can, I, can I do it with this this one? Maybe. All right. So, so you see, you see there, it was going to settle, but I'm twisting it out, and because there was nowhere for it to fit, it sort of kicked off, and it found another place to be. That means that you, it opens up more possibilities for for where you. Know, where you are able to put things and how fast you're able to put things down. Um, if you keep playing long enough, it'll go to what's so-called 20G mode. So the pieces keep keep falling faster and faster, but eventually they'll just appear at the bottom. But because you've got that settle time, it's not it's not as bad as it sounds. You've got a little bit of opportunity to, to twist it around and find a place for it. Um, yeah. I think I don't think there's really much more to say about it. You've heard a couple of tunes. Now, are the go. tunes are, are? Did you write these yourself, or are they like public domain ones? Or okay, so these were all public domain downloads that I. I don't think I used any of them verbatim. I've I've had to strip out um, lots of channels you know, to 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 make two channel music out of it um, and fix quite a lot of of the the, uh, the notes in them because they weren't quite right to my ear um so you know that's not the tune that you know from from other versions of, of this game it's it's a free version that i've sort of muddled in muddled into uh sounding right to me <laughs> but there okay. are a few and hopefully a nice little surprise one as well cool and uh is 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 nick or sorry, Neil is Neil already selling these, or is that happening very so, soon? Or what's the schedule? So no, this is this is a real soon now. I think um, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but as I say on the Coca Crew podcast, he did say that the, the parts were coming together. It sounds promising. It sounds like there should be something to buy soon, and because of it, yeah, hopefully, not too much money, but it's a cartridge, so you know. <laughs> But uh, you know, that's two Game Master cartridge games coming out now from both you and... Um, well, they've done others already, haven't they? Yeah, there's been but a few I, others, but I, but I mean, like who. right now, the having two come out at once, I don't think has happened before. I think we've, you know, they've kind of been spaced out. So having two that are actually in active development. And uh, I'm trying to remember if the Ice Brawlers that Sheldon's doing, if he's doing a version of that for the GMC as well as the PSG or not, I can't remember. Not sure. I know he was talking about at one point he might he might be narrowing it down to one just to make it a bit easier on development time wise. But I know that like Steve, when I saw uh, John announce the GMC, I thought, yeah, that makes sense. That's a good idea. <laughs> and, and thank you so much for putting the support for these into Xwork too, because it makes development a lot easier for those of you that, that, that for people that don't have it or want to test or even play the game. 
you know, if they don't have real hardware, they still have an opportunity to play a game with that support built in. So, well, I can only apologize that I haven't got any of the other sound <laughs> solutions in there. It's uh, well, you've been kind of busy with MC Tentacle with three support, so I think we can <laughs> we can forgive you that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I think that's me. All right. Well, thanks. And uh, we'll actually have a bit of a mention of a couple of other things uh, involving you a bit later in the regular news, but uh, we'll we'll finish up the roundtable first. So I guess we've got, uh, Jay, did you want to go first or, or Nick, did you want to go first? Uh, Jay can go first. Okay, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> I'm just waiting for my turn. Um, <laughs> so I guess I'll just start with a little bit of history on it. So I don't know how many people here um, follow the 8-Bit guy on YouTube pretty pretty popular guy um but if you do you probably know that he put out a game called um attack of the pesky robots earlier this year for the pet and then he ported it to the vic and the c64 and the x16 which is his platform that he's creating uh, at the moment a new computer platform so hey there you go is that the atari no, this is the original release for the uh, Pet Vic in 64. Gotcha. So that's what the box, uh, there are some boxes that are different colors, but that's the uh, original one. And uh, so when it first came out, I thought, that's pretty cool. You know, all the Commodore platforms, but of course, not a Commodore person. So although I do have quite a few Commodore machines in my collection, but um, I thought hey, that'd be cool to be on the Coco. But my first thought was, yeah, I'll never get that done. So <laughs> I kind of uh, just let it go. And then the next thing I know, there's an Apple version, and then there's an Atari version, and there's other versions in progress. And I'm like, eh, I thought about it a little bit more. This is, you know, a couple months. And then finally, I think in September, uh, I hit him up on email. I said, hey, I'm interested in doing the Coco version. And would you send me your source code? So he sent me the source code for... Uh, the pet version, the original 4032 pet version. And uh, I could tell from his email, as he says in a lot of his videos, that he didn't expect anything to come of it because uh, I think a lot of people do ask for source code and never do anything with it. So anyways, uh, I got the source code and I decided to do it on the Coco 3 because I figured if it can be done there um, with that resolution and that color mode, then it can be done on the Coco as well. So, although originally my thought wasn't really to do a Coco 1, 2 version, I was concentrating on the Coco 3. But anyway, so I took the um, the pet graphics and I took the uh, pet code and I basically commenced to putting together a complete reproduction of the pet version uh, on the Coco 3. And let me bring this up so you guys can see kind of what it looks like. Yeah, Buck Owens, uh, Steve Rasmussen in the chat is mentioning Atari 7800 port is also works. There's also like uh, Amiga and a bunch of others. There's, there's like, yeah, there's like, I think there's still like another six or seven or maybe more ports that are in yeah. progress. And, and David, know. I think, has mentioned like he, people requesting this source, that's well over 100 people for different platforms. And, you know, well, he said it was, it's kind of funny in one ability, he said, because he's written, I guess, three or maybe four games now in the recent past. And his last uh, game, before this one, he said he had like 150 people ask for source code and not one of them came back with a port. So <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't looking for uh, 
much, I guess, when people start asking for this one, but he's gotten a good response. That's good. Um, so anyway, am I on? You yep. seen my share? Okay. So this is the title. So if you guys have played or seen the uh, pet version of the game, this will look really familiar because it is a one-to-one -one reproduction pretty much of the pet. The pet does do um, character graphics, uh, 40, um, 40 by 25 uh, character screen. Uh, of course, the Coco uh, does not have redefinable characters, so that was basically not a way to go. So, like I said, my first thought was to go into full bitmap mode. So here we have um, 320 by 200 by 16 colors. However, the pet version, as everybody knows, is well actually green and black, but we have white and black here. Um, and but you know, another color set can be swapped in here fairly easily with 16 colors and whammadine graphics and what have you. So that's where we're going to get eventually. Um, so in the menu here, let's see if I'm actually, yep, I am. So there is a map selection. There's 10 different maps. However, right now we are hard coded for just one for uh, development. There's also difficulty settings. If you watch the uh, robot's eyes, you'll see that they change as you move into difficulty. So that's his angry face. And I call that his scared face. And this is his concerned face. So that's kind of how I look at him. But uh, basically easy, medium, and hard. Um, difference in difficulty, from what I understand, is normal is what you consider normal. If you go to easy, it doubles the amount of stuff you can find in the map to make it a little bit easier to play. And if you go to hard, um, you go back to the same amount of stuff, but all the robots in the game, instead of some of them initially waiting for you to shoot them to fire back, they will automatically be aggressive towards you when you come into, uh, into screen with them. So there's also a controls here, which um, is probably going to end up being a setup option uh, prior to the game starting so that we don't have to put that code in because um, talk about this, I guess, a little bit later, but the uh, fitting the code in has been <laughs> been a challenge thus far. So anyways, I got the game started and I got this screen done and I pretty much got it to kind of what you're seeing here. I uh, had the, the game screen and the map was, was showing and I had the uh, text at the bottom working, the health bar working, all that kind of stuff was working. But I realized at that point, number one, it was too slow. Uh, to be a, a viable you know, game as far as how, how fast it updated the map. And I also realized that the code just wasn't going to fit the way I had it. So uh, I had two options at that point. I could just stop or I could phone a friend. So I phoned Mr. Curtis Boyle. Uh, actually, I didn't phone him. I caught, got him on, on uh, Discord. And I said, hey, Curtis, uh, my first request was, hey, would you take a look at my code and especially the code that draws the bitmap and see if you can speed this up to, to get that going. And, you know, that's really all I asked for <laughs> initially. Uh, he did that and then proceeded to do a whole lot more. And him and I have been working now, I don't know, what, a month or so it occurs? Two months yep. maybe, something yeah, like about that. that. Um, moving the game forward. So essentially what happened was, or what happened, I guess, in the beginning, what's happening now is I'm writing the code to get it to work. Uh, the way it needs to work, and then Curtis is kind of coming behind me and actually making it work to make the game playable. <laughs> so, uh, and also a lot of what he's been doing is uh, crunching the code down. Um, because when I did when I did it, I literally poured it from the 6502 code to 60 
309 eventually, but back to 6809. And that code um, wasn't optimized for the way 6809 wants to play. And Curtis is kind of um, doing that now to uh, not only make it fast, but also make the code more compact. So at this point, we've been able to put all the code in that we need. Um, and we actually have some more room that we're going to uh, right now, not in this version, but another version that I'm working on, a current version, um, working on getting the file loader to work so that we can load in different maps and also different tile sets. So uh, that's where we're at with that. Um, the, the game itself, um, so I can move around here. Uh, I have it set up right now, AS, uh, AWSD, which is what I'm used to for movement. Um, those of you that have the actual game will probably notice that that's not the way the, the pet version works, but that's just what I like from playing PC games. So that's what I've done. I also have the uh, have the ability to shoot with the uh, weapon that you have chosen, and you can shoot in four directions, and you can also shoot while you're moving. So you can be moving in a different direction than what you're actually shooting. Um, like yeah, separate said, keys for shooting and moving. It's it's not a common like hit a space bar while you're moving. Right. It's two totally separate sets of four. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, and like I said, the game is kind of slow um, right now because we still have some op op uh, optimization things that we want to do to make it faster. But um, there's also, if you look on the top left hand, um, there's two weapons in the game. So if I hit the one, it will swap between the weapons. So that is what's the, uh, the plasma rifle. And then that is just a pistol. Um, obviously shows you how much ammo you have for each one. And if you swap, then... Uh, you know, you'll get the shot for a different one. The um, the uh, plasma rifle is does what it's called a big explosion, and I don't quite have that done right yet. So the uh, artifacts that we're getting there is not they're not right. So I'm still working on getting that worked out. But um, also the second box will see items. If I hit my two key, that will swap between all the available items in the game. Of course, I have a cheat mode going here, so I get all of them with 100 each so I can play around. But this one that we're showing here is a magnet. And essentially what that does, if I can find that robot again, there he is. If I come over here uh, and then I hit the Z key, which is for, I'm sorry, the M key, which is for, no, that's not right either. Space bar for use. <laughs> Space bar for use. It will make uh, my character highlight. And then when he moves out of the way, I will put it over there. And if you watch when he comes, it will capture him. And then he goes a little haywire and just kind of moves randomly. Um, at this point, obviously, if I want to, I can shoot him and try to kill him. Um, or otherwise, he will eventually return back to his normal uh, patrol mode when it the time delay wears off for that. Um, another thing we have, these are time bombs. Um, this is essentially the same kind of idea, except... What it does is, this is also something that uses the uh, the big explosion routine. And like I said, it doesn't quite work the way it's supposed to right now, but you'll get the idea. So if I use it and I put the time bomb out, move away, because it will kill me as well. You see that um, it's actually supposed to do the center and the other eight squares, but like I said, it's not quite working right now. But uh, you have the time bomb. Also have uh, the EMP, which is not turned on yet, uh, but that's essentially uh, you can set that off, and it will zap all the robots on the screen, and they'll 
be uh, immobilized for a, a period of time. Uh, and the last one is the health kit, which you can all imagine what that does for you. Um, and that's it. Um, below that, you'll see keys. There is key cards in the game that you can pick up um, by searching around. I'll show you the search in here in a little bit. But you can see this door here. Um, they're basically all automatic doors. You walk up to them, they open. You walk through them, they close. Um, this one has the black square next to it. If you see, that's kind of a uh, basically a, a common door. There's no key needed for it. But if I come down here and find some more doors. I should mention that if you guys are seeing the little flash on the top, that's a CPU timer thing that a lot of programmers use to see how much you know CPU time oh, yeah. background tasks are. The coloring, yeah. That's, that's essentially not part of the, the actual game. <laughs> right. That's kind of that's basically the IRQ tracking that uh, I have built into it. See a star here. So if I walk up to the door, it will turn into a star. And now I can walk through this door as much as I want because I've unlocked it. Over here is a heart door. And since I have a heart key, it will unlock and open for me there as well. And I think there's a star key up, uh, door up here somewhere. But you guys get the idea how, how that works. Um, obviously, you got the health bar at the bottom. You got 11 health is your max amount of health that you can have. Um, and then, of course, the health kit will uh, refill that. And the robots have varying levels of health. The uh, smaller ones, like this guy here, he's called a um, roller bot. You can see the little ball on the bottom of his body there. And then this guy coming across here is called the Hoverbot. Um, the Hoverbots can go over water uh, and ground, all that sort of thing. The Rollerbots are restricted to pretty much walking wherever you can walk as well. Um, so for searching, pretty much, I won't say everything. A lot, of the, a lot of the things in the game are searchable. So if I go in here and I go over here to the, this bed, If I hit Z, Z is the search button, and then I'll push down. It'll say that it's searching, and it tells me I found a key card. Now, I don't know which one because I already have all three, but that's what it would do. Um, and the way the game works, uh, you only have to search like one part of an item as long as it's not longer than two, basically two tiles. It will search the entire thing. If it is, then you need to search multiple areas. Uh, but like I can search this table here, see if I find anything. Yep, found a med kit. Yeah, so it kind of has an adventure game element with this this type of thing as well yeah. as the arcade style. Yep. And actually, if you, um, as Dave describes it in the videos, it, it's not meant to be a shoot 'em up. In fact, he said, you know, if you try to play the game as a strict shooter, you're not going to have a lot of fun because it's the 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 amount of damage you can do versus the robots is not high enough to be able to just go around with the gun and shoot. And so you need to use a lot of strategy. Um, there's different elements to the maps, like um, over here. Let me get there. Over here is a tra uh, trash compactor. So if I walk in here, it will kill me. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Uh, not, but I you can, can also back. lure a robot in there and kill it too. That's so. right. Yep, you can uh, do like, uh, uh, I know I see one example he showed. He moved a bunch of chairs in a line here and then kind of coaxed a 
um, robot to follow him along, and it uh, pretty much went into the trash compactor and killed itself. Um, let's go in here and look. I'll show you how some of the searching works in here. So if I like, uh, if I search this container, neat thing is you search it. I found a key card, and now you can see that it actually shows the open box now. So you know you searched it. The one on the right there is already uh, searched. So not that I searched it; it just came into the game searched. So you can also um, move objects around, though. I don't know if we have that enabled yet, do we? Yep. Um, trying to figure out. Uh, I don't know if I can move this, but I'll try it. So move is an M key for me right now. And then if I go like that, so you see I can move that around. Um, you can also grab, you know, chairs if you want and move them around. So you can use those to like trap robots and then like maybe e EMP them or time bomb them or whatever you want to do, that sort of thing. So like I said, there's quite a bit of strategy in it. And the point of the game um, at least from what I have gathered and what I've seen playing around with it is more to figure out ways of killing robots with items and the physical layout of the map versus just trying to shoot and kill them with a weapon. Um, so that's search. Uh, I showed you search. I showed you move. Um, I showed you how you use objects. Uh, I showed you the shoot. Uh, for the guns, key cards, looked at that. I don't know, you think of anything else, Curtis, that we have going on that we can demonstrate at this time? Uh, not too much more to demonstrate. I mean, there's there's outside portions, like we're in the building right now, so there's other parts where there's like trails and bridges and stuff, and I know from reading the directions and things, you, know, you, you can accidentally blow up a bridge and screw yourself over, so you have to restart the game. Yep. So you, you have to be a bit careful when you're on some of the maps. Yep, and uh, there's also some areas where, um, let me see if I can find it relatively quickly. I'm trying to remember where it is on this map. I think it's down. No, it's up, I think, on this one. But he kind of gives you, like, trails to kind of lead you to things, but not a great amount. So I think if we follow this trail up here, no. So this brings you up to this yard and there's a robot. So, and the, the whole goal, of, I guess I should tell everybody this, the whole goal of the game is to kill all the robots in a level before they kill you. So uh, that allows you to finish that level. It'll give you a time score. So the whole game is based on the um, least amount of time it takes you to complete the level. And uh, yeah, like I said, so there's, there's these little, I don't know what you want to call them, gardens and such that are out in the uh, outside of the building that contain robots, so you got to find them as well and kill them. Um, that's about it. I can't really think of much else to uh, go. So like I said, um, I guess just where we want to go from here, obviously there's a few features of the game um, that we need to implement. And like I showed, um, that big explosion needs to be fixed um, so that it works appropriately. Um, we're going to look at getting a 16 color tile set for the 320 by 200 screen developed that will still use the tile engine, but um, would be much more colorful and hopefully aesthetically pleasing as far as the look. Yeah, I should mention that Erica was actually volunteered to help us with that part. So once we're 
got the engine basically working, he'll be coming on board for the alternate tile set for the Coco 3. Yep. I'd also, I'm probably going to ask David for probably the uh, C64 set because that's basically the same thing. So I may include, you know, several different tile sets in this version just for some variety. Um, obviously, sound is going to be something we're going to do once we get the, the uh, game engine working, then we'll be getting sound going into the game. <clears throat> and uh, we have talked about uh, once we get this all to a point where it's working, um, moving it to the Coco 2, make it a Coco 1 2 version as well. And then uh, I'd like to include all three on the same disc. So uh, we'll see if there's room for that. Or maybe we'll do a flippy and we'll have it on one side and then you know the other one on the other. There is a question from uh, Steve Rasmussen. What's up? He says, when, when it's finished, does the 8-bit guy require you to distribute through him? And what are the media plans? Media plan as far as what it's going to be released on? Yeah, I think that's what okay. Yeah, so um, as far as the 8-bit guy, he does release them in a box set, which is cool. I like the box sets, so I'm definitely going to get my own. But um, so the way I believe it's going to happen, although I haven't had this – direct conversation with David yet. Um, he is going to produce labels, discs, boxes. More than likely, this will have a box with a uh, sticky label for the cocoa. I, I don't think it's going to have its own box, although it probably will have its own, well, definitely will have its own label. Um, it's going to come out on five and a quarter inch disc in the box. Uh, the manual, the, uh, the map manual, all that stuff will be in there. Probably be a small insert for uh, uh, how to get the game, how to set up the game and how to start the game because it is different than, uh, you know, all the other systems. Um, I do intend after some period of time, I have to talk to David about what that period might be. I do want to put the code out in the wild and probably put it on the archive um, for both systems. But uh, like I said, I, I need to talk to David and see how he wants to handle that. Um, I do know that he has shareware versions out there, like the C64 version. Um, and uh, my feeling on it is that the box set is what you're paying for, you know, the boxing materials, not necessarily the code itself. So um, I'd like to put the, the game itself, the digital version of the game, out, uh, out in the wild after some point in time. It's probably a long-winded answer to the question, but... Any other questions you see in there, Mark? Nope, that was the only one. The rest of them were just comments. Uh, oh, I guess uh, Jeremy Landry did ask, will this have a special appearance by the Nightmare Highway attack couch? <laughs> I guess Erico might sneak that in in the artwork. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the Coco version, I definitely have some ideas about some specific Coco things I would like to try to do. So, and I'm sure. You know, Curtis has ideas and, and uh, you know, when the art gets done, we'll try to do those sorts of things. Um, like I said, I would like to have like, because we have the ability pretty much uh, to do all the character sets except, I guess, the Amiga. The Amiga is probably the only one to higher resolution. Um, so I'd like to include several tile sets and then, of course, the uh, special Coco set. Um, now, the, the Coco 2 will not have 16 color tiles but i would like to have a uh you know a a monochrome black and white version of the coco tiles as well for that 
yeah, and maybe even an artifact color one. Like Eric was pretty good at doing the artifacts. We might make two sets for the Coco one and two. You might want to emphasize to everyone that it's currently what we're seeing now is currently running in a 16 color mode. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, it would actually be running faster if, if you did it just in a black and white video mode, but it is actually moving 16 color memory. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Like literally like the pet version, the 40 by 25 pet ski version, which is their special ASCII character set is, is a one K screen. The whole screen is one K. This screen is 32 K and we're moving 24 K per frame. So we're already moving 24 times as much as the pets doing. And, you know, the speed's not too bad. I've, it's not fully optimized yet. There's definitely some more stuff like dirty tile detection, like when you're moving over if tiles have not physically changed on a certain spot on the screen. Why are we redrawing them? Currently, we are redrawing every single one. So once once we get the main core engine, you know, when all the different pieces working correctly, then we'll start going through and optimizing the graphics further, et cetera. But it's, it's not running too bad right now. I did optimize the engine a little bit. I, I don't know, was it about three or four times faster than the very first raw conversion you did? uh something like that i think it was i think we ended up around well i think your very first attempt was like four and i think it's been gotten slightly faster since then um not visually but by cycle counting obviously uh and i the other thing i did uh i rewatched one of the videos i think it was on the apple II the other day from the apic guy and something i missed the first time around that i saw this time is he said that they use dirty tiles as well to get it to run uh fast enough on the apple and he said there was something like a 45 foot uh the average was like 45 percent of the screen is dirty tiles so you can get nearly a 50 percent increase by using a dirty tile so i found that pretty uh dramatic i didn't think it would quite be that high but he claims uh based on the uh the research they did looking at it that it was about 45 percent. so we'll see how that yeah. turns out yeah yeah, I think they're there. If I remember to the Apple II mode that they used, I think it's around 8K per screen. So it's still four times less than what we're doing. Oh, yeah, it's much smaller. Yeah, we're definitely, I mean, other than like a mega version such, or something. Yeah. yeah, we're definitely moving around. And I guess the 128 version, I believe, is fully bit mapped. So that's probably moving around about the same amount as well. But I don't know that for a fact. But yeah, we're definitely on the high end as far as uh, trying to get things to work at a, appropriate speed. So. Yeah, anything else, Curtis? Uh, no, I, like I said, Eric will be involved in doing some of the graphics stuff here. We're going to try to make Coco 1 and 2 versions, <clears throat> a Coco 3 custom tile set. <clears throat> There's more optimizations for the speed and stuff. Right now, it's basically going through and finishing optimizing the core code. One of the big things about the 6809, and you'll see this on a lot of ports to the Coco, like you know, Rescue and Fractals, Chronos Rift, it's the same thing. If they're written for the 6502, they tend to just straight port it. So anything using the X register, the Y register, they just keep doing that. The problem is the 6502, that's an 8-bit register. <clears throat> so for the code to run properly on the COCO itself on a 6809, if you just straight raw translate it, those are 16-bit registers. So we have to like, you know, clear out the high byte and transfer it to the low byte. And, and then you're running with, you know, 16-bit offset addressing stuff, which is slower. So it's, it's definitely running slower right off the hop. It makes it easy to do the conversion. So, I mean, you got the game basically, you know, the core bits running pretty quickly as far as the amount of time to convert it, but it, it doesn't run as fast as it could be. And stuff like tables especially are, are set up totally differently than we'd normally do on a 6809, just because it's much better to do on a 6502 that way. So for example, if you have a table, like they have unit tables in here, which is basically all the movable objects like robots and you know stuff like that. And basically what happens is that they would have like the X location is one table and the Y location is a second table and the 
the power energy levels a third and it would just keep going on. So you might have a structure of like nine different things you're keeping track of per object, but you'd keep them all in separate tables. Cause then you could do a com X, you know, objects zero through 255 oh. and you just keep going through. And uh, that's not the most efficient way to do it in the 6809. <laughs> so <laughs> we're, we're definitely changing some stuff like that. I'm not probably not going to change all of it because there's a lot of code. There's certain tables that are used so often that we have to change a ton of code. And I'm, I'm scared of breaking something. If we need to, <clears throat> to get the speed fully up to where it should be, I might still do that. But I took some of the simpler tables and have you know, changed them to be everything contiguous. Your X, Y coordinate and your power level would all be three bytes right after each other. So now it's all five-bit offsets, which are much faster, takes less RAM. And uh, you know, we have the multiply command. If you want to see what you know, you know, point to offset for the entry, you know, 157 in the table, we just do a 157 times the size of the table entries. One multiplication command, we're pointing there. Whereas you know, on the, on the Apple, they have to treat all those as separate, or on six by two, I should say, you have to treat it as separate. So lots of optimizations to still do, but we've crunched it down. I think from the initial initial thing, we couldn't even fit all the code in. To a sixty-four K space. Well, we couldn't even fit all the map in at first. Remember, we were running like <laughs> right. like a third of the map or something just to test. And then we crunched it, crunched it, crunched it, got it down so we can put the whole map in. And now we got it crunched. And the other thing that's kind of interesting, just as a side note, I don't know if anybody will find this uh, as interesting as I do, but like the pet, all the visual, all the video reproduction is done on the ROM in hard well, not in hardware, but on the ROM. We're doing all the blitting manually in our code. So all that code's additional. All the code that uses that code is also additional. Um, also, the um, on the pet, the, the keyboard routine for selecting, uh, detecting keys and responding to them is uh, very straightforward, where on the Coco, um, there's additional code required to do that. Um, the, the Commodore machines their disk drives are essentially little computers. So they just issue a command to the Commodore disk drive and it sends back the answer. Whereas for us, we have to do all that manually as well. So there's a lot of additional code that we've had to work down to get in here just to get the game to run that wasn't even really a consideration on the original game. So it's quite a bit of extra code for just to get it run on, on the Coco. All right. So on a pet, this would just be a text screen yes. and, you know, yep. an yep. A look yep. like the upper left corner of a spaceship or whatever, but it's just an A and you just move on. We're on yeah. a Coco. This is a yep. tile that you have to. <clears throat> yeah. On a Coco, it's a 20, like each, each full size tile is a 24 by 24 pixel combination of uh, three by three characters, um, which are each eight by eight pixels themselves. So, right. Yeah, we call them characters, but that's just a reference to the pet because they're not really characters. They're just, they're just bitmaps. But, but yeah, all the all the shapes that you see here, for those of you that aren't familiar with the pet, are all part of the pet's um, character set. So David basically took the character set, made tiles out of those characters uh, to make the whole game actually, which is pretty interesting when you think about that just by itself. But right. that interior, that interior art looks really good considering it's made from character cells like that. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, I agree. 
Yeah. Well, I know David, in one of his videos, he said that he thinks this is probably the most complicated, most robust pet game ever released. And I, I did use a pet back in school, and I'd have to agree this is far beyond anything else yeah, I've Yeah, there's nothing I've seen that has anything close to that. Any further questions or comments? Nope. Okay. So I think we'll take a bit of a break here before we hit Nick and then Frank. I'm not sure if Frank's on the call here, but he'll be uh, kind of our segue into the news section here. But uh, some people, I think, need to use the potty and grab some more coffee or both. So, Mark, if you want to queue up some ads and uh, maybe the Discord, who's new to Discord this week type stuff. Yep. And uh, we'll come back with Nick Rennies with an update to Zero Hour. are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original colored computer, the Coco 3, and the world renowned exclusive French Shack. At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Bowden Aaron, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscom, D. Bruce Moore, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunct, Michael Pitsley, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C, Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S, Tony C, and William Athing. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Hi, this is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord! Coco123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool Coco periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the Documents link to view all the past issues of the Coco123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, uh, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.
The Cocoa World Map is a cool community resource where you can view cocoa nuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow Coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Cocoa Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Cocoa Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's get you on the show, and let's talk about the Coco. Hi, I'm Tim, and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Right, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? It's time for everyone's favorite segment. Who's new to Discord this week? RJ. Hello all, name's RJ. I'm in my 50s. Grew up mainly with Apple IIs. Watching a series of YouTube videos on Tandy Cocos recently. I just received a Coco 3, and am eager to venture this side of the road. Blackbit. Hi all. My name is Alex. I consider myself a general technology nerd. In terms of vintage, retro computing I do various things, my big soft spot are peripherals. I am also a licensed ham and play with electronics which involves vintage lab gear. Lastly, I have been a professional in the Linux world for 20 years. Geronimus. Hello all. My first computer was a Coco Butt. I like quite a few different systems and am a hardware hacker from way back. People will probably know my name from Facebook. The previous bios were edited for time's sake. Thanks to Melly, Boysontech, Paul Fiscarelli, Terry Stagy, and the Coca Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. At discord.cocatalk.live. And we're back. Cool. So we'll just uh, go on to the next and final live presenter for game updates. And that would be our, our Aussie friend, Nick Mar Marionettes there. Um, Crikey. <laughs> <laughs> with a zero hour update. And an another update. So uh, people must be getting sick of seeing it all the time. But so <laughs> well, that's why you put everybody else in front of you. So they kind of yeah, figured, existed. yeah, that's right. So uh, I'll, I'll keep it short anyway. So, this week I released uh, my next uh, development blog chapter update for those who like to follow what I've been doing, and I've done another two uh, two screen or levels, and uh, I've also supplied a video showing the uh, levels and from last chapter, so four levels. So I guess uh, if you want to roll the video, and I can just talk over it okay. i guess let me load up the video here i just got those the blog up here right now so let me grab the video so that's the the new loader screen 
for the program just to try jazz it up a bit. And in, in this video, I just actually play the game um, straight through. Of course, there's still a lot of things that aren't finished yet. I still can't die when I hit a robot. I can't pick up the EMF charges. I can't harm the robots. So still a lot, a lot of things to do. Still in but Stevie I, mode. In Stevie mode. This, <laughs> that's right. He says, what? You, got, you mean you're going to make it harder? <laughs> Um, so at the moment I'm at, I'm at the foyer and I just got to get to, to the screen that I got running and it's the power generator. So I'm, I'll just go into these quickly. So, um, as you, oh, you haven't got your sound on, uh, Curtis. I do. It's probably just a little late here. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So when you travel across to get to the other side of the screen, you've got to pass through the power generator that's at the top there, throwing sparks down. If you get hit by a spark, of course, you get knocked down. A couple of buttons down there which control the activity of the fires below, which you need to um, activate and deactivate in order to get past really? the fires. So that, that's all I show on that, but that's the power generator. I go back to the foyer, and I'll move on to the uh, the next level that I did. And you can control the elevators now too. Well, yeah. One of the A things I found annoying was that, especially on the on the foyer here, it takes so long to go up and down because they're the longest lifts. So you can press spacebar to reverse the direction of the lifts. Only on the foyer level, though. So it speeds it up. The next one is the transporter tubes. Think of Star Trek here. Basically those blue uh, areas uh, in the corners. If you enter one of those, you can teleport to any of the others, the one that's currently flashing. And I'm um, trying to design the level so that you need to use the, the teleporters to get to certain parts of the screen or maybe to, to get around um, objects like that so beam me up <laughs> i've also extended the uh the dropping distance so you can actually drop drop down on some levels without dying back to the foyer and now to go to the other two levels that I did in the previous chapter, which I didn't show any video for. So it's called the hydraulic lifter. So that machine down the bottom there is a, a special lifter for lifting heavy objects and you need to put a certain amount of emf charges into the machine to make it go up to the level that you that you want so i've put three charges in that'll take me up to the oh, the highest platform and you can't get down because the lifter will go back automatically so the only way to get down is to 
jump into these, uh, um, what are they called? Sli uh, well, these tubes, um, which slide you down safely to that bottom level like that. So for this, you've got to constantly go and uh, control the machine to get up to certain levels. Where are the yellow blocks on that screen? The yellow blocks are the EMF bombs. Oh, oh, okay. Or the EMF charges, which I can't collect yet. Really? So when yeah, you okay. finally can, you can then use those to disable the robots. But the robots currently can't harm me. So <laughs> you should mention the release sample too. Oh yeah, when you die, I don't know if you if you want to rewind it back because he did it just before. Um, I've added um, a, a David Loud David Lad sound effect where he says the word really. And just a, anyone who knows David Ladd knows that he's well known for that. So I'll I'll, I'll shut up so you can listen to. Uh, to where the was next. it? Was it before this year? What? Um, it was in the generator room. Yeah, it was in the generator room. It's really? there too. There it is. Did you hear it? Yeah, I just heard it just now. On the bits, we don't talk over. Really. <laughs> So it's a bit slowed down, so it doesn't quite pitch sound like David, but it's it's actually a digitized David sample. Yeah, it's it's David's voice. Just to give a bit of humor to the game. And make David even more famous than he is already. That's right. And this one's the EMF uh, chamber. Now, this one, the green area in the center, you are able to fo uh, fall much further. Um, um, anywhere outside that, you'd still die, but uh, you fall a bit further and you've got to ride the platforms, which only go in one direction, and you can't touch the top or the bottom, which is the EMF generator um, poles or conductors. So this machine is gener generating EMF charges. So you, you can see one there, a, a yellow block moving on a, on a uh, platform. So you can go uh, and collect those. It's important you get, get as many EMF charges as you can because some levels you do require, require those charges. But uh, the challenge in this game, in this level rather, is that you don't know when the platforms are going to appear. Sometimes a, a platform doesn't appear where, where you want it so you've got to always think in terms of uh, a contingency plan of of being able to reverse or or um get around that problem until you get the platforms in the right place like here for example there wasn't one in front which is what i wanted so i had i quickly had to go back to stall a bit and, and again, and then one appears finally, which I can't get to, but, and now I can. So that's, that's the main strategy in this game, in this level. And that's, that's it. That's the four levels I've done. So it's coming along. It's a lot of work. Yeah, and as we mentioned before with, with Steve's game, it, it, you guys are both in the fine-tuning phase of, of a lot of it, you know, trying yeah. different things and going, you know, this worked, this didn't. Because you've done a few changes to it, as he has. 
Yeah, that's right. And I think something that Steve Bamford was saying, some of it, you've, I haven't planned it fully. Like I've got a rough idea of what the level is going to be and what you're going to do, but not fully. So I've got it laid out to that point. And then as I'm coding it, I do, I, I, I decide what I'm going to do. I say, oh, I wonder if that'll look good or if that'll be fun. Uh, and then I sort of dynamically come up with um, the ideas for the level while I'm still coding it. So it's a bit more of an organic. These last two levels are a bit more organic. The EMF chamber level is completely different to what I had originally planned. And uh, it took me a while. I had a few other ideas I put in there. I didn't like it. And then recode it, delete code, make some more graphics. And uh, finally, I got something that I liked. And the one thing I think about the, the, like you do, you're doing in this game is there's there's this they're almost like each level is a mini game like they're they're different enough from each other. There's a few common elements like picking up. Yeah, I mean overall it's a common, yeah, a lot of elements all common. But then there's a, a machine or some aspect of that level which is unique. So it makes it like into a little yeah. It's mini it's not game. like a normal platformer or an older platformer where basically it's the same thing. You're just rearranging where everything is, and you're doing the yeah, exact same yeah. things. Like you're yeah. throwing in completely different things, like the you know the little casino gambling thing you got in there. Yeah, there is, and 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 that's why it takes so long to do this game. You're not doing just one game. You're doing about fourteen different games or mini games anyway in yeah. the thing. So that's why it's taking a bit longer. It's probably one of my most challenging games. Uh, that I've ever done, um, but it'll get there slowly. It's uh, it'll get there. Yeah. That's well, thank you, it. Nick, and and thanks to all of the other guests here for doing all these game updates. I know there's a few other people that are working on some games too that didn't have stuff ready or weren't able to make it, and and you know, want to save showing stuff until they're actually on. Now, one thing I will mention here is that, of course, with all these new games being worked on and soon to be coming out here, you're going to need some place to actually get some storage to hold all these darn things. And our next guest, and uh, this is kind of segueing into regular news, quote unquote, is Frank from Retro Rewind, who we uh, announced last week has actually got some cocoa products. And I want him to kind of discuss what's out there. He can actually show some of it and also what some of the future plans are. So take it away, Frank. That was, uh, that was a very smooth transition. Did you actually write that one out? Like you <laughs> specifically waiting for that point in time? Uh, I'm not normally known for today. smooth transitions, let me tell you. He's our professional newsreader. Yeah, yeah. I'm, You're as I smooth as they come, Curtis. Don't let anybody tell Probably you. had a sticky note stuck to his monitor just waiting for it, <laughs> waiting for the right opportunity to jump on it. Yeah, let me uncover it. Oh, there you are. I can see what you look like now. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone wants to see what I look like. But nevertheless, uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, I was on quickly last week, uh, live from the uh, World of Commodore, from the competitors show. Uh, actually brought... Uh, one of our Coco SDCs there. We had a couple uh, Coco fans, fans of the show, uh, Henry and Neil, uh, who kind of swung by, had a good chat. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I did sell them some Commodore products, but uh, I think the days of the uh, schoolyard micro battles uh, are long gone. Uh, uh, <laughs> now we just okay. fight amongst ourselves. That's the difference. Like happy family. Let's be honest. Um, Spent a whole bunch of time uh, deep diving into uh, Cocoa Hardware. I mean, I'm a Commodore hardware developer. Uh, it's a whole new world. Uh, but we've got a 
whole bunch of exciting stuff. One being um, the Coco SDC, which we've almost sold out of our entire run already. Uh, kind of in literally in the process of building more as you guys were talking. Um, we've got uh, repair services, uh, secured a uh, large quantity of 6309s. Uh, problem with this hobby is some of these, um, some of the uh, custom chips and, uh, you know, hobby projects like this started, they're really hard to find. And with the chip shortage, uh, as I'm sure most people on here are well aware of, it's become a challenge. Uh, so it took us a lot longer to get at least the Coco SDC uh, into production. I mean, we got the rights from Darren, well, I don't know, four months ago, three months ago. Uh, but uh, trying to find PLCC uh, Xilin chips, which technically are classified as, you know, hobbyist chips uh, is very, very difficult when most, uh, well, the only foundry that Xilinx uses in Taiwan is completely geared towards SMD right now. Uh, they're not even considering the PLCC stuff. So uh, we secured enough to make 50 units, which is fantastic. Uh, you know, we're this week alone, I think we sold eight or nine already. Uh, this community has been great. Uh, we've got, uh, like I said, the 6309 upgrades uh, that we can make, uh, either provide people the chip or do it for them. Uh, you know, we can recap your machine. We can diagnose any problems, repair. Uh, what else do we got that we're kind of looking forward to? So we've got, I think I've got the RTC uh, working. Uh, the question is, and maybe we can have a, a frank discussion about this, no pun intended. Uh, is the best way to implement that? Would that be like a standalone carrier card uh, or maybe incorporated into like a uh, cart switcher? Um, we can't put it in the Coco SDC because that's the agreement uh, with Darren. We're not uh, allowed to modify it and that's perfectly fine. Um, even though I would like to have a kind of in-depth conversation with him about maybe switching the footprint from PLCC to uh, like... Um, uh, one of the SMD QFP 64, whatever the chip count is, because it would make sourcing some of these chips a lot, a lot easier. Um, so like I said, this has been, uh, I'm not going to lie, this has been one of the best product launches we've had is the SDC. Uh, uh, I'm sure everyone here is quite familiar with it. Uh, if you don't own it already, guess what? We've got them for sale right here. Um, so I don't know if anyone's got any questions. Maybe we can start that way. But I would like to, uh, after answering your questions, kind of have a conversation about uh, the gaps that are missing. Uh, you know, uh, we're not here to step on anyone's toes. Uh, that's not kind of the philosophy that we have. Uh, what we like to do is find a gap that's missing. Uh, one of our claims to fame have always been uh, diagnostic hardware uh, for micro. So we're also working on uh, at least a Cocoa Dyad cart. Uh, but I also have a few other ideas uh, that I'll mention at a later date, but to offer uh, diagnostic services to the end user. You can buy products to actually diagnose uh, machines yourself. Well, one, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, which I had not warned you about, so I'm going to spring it on you. But I know you you do a lot of selling to Europe for the Amiga and, and the Commodore mm -hmm. stuff. And I know there's been some problems getting stuff uh, from the States to Europe, um, whether it's SDCs or whatever else that, you know, gets quite expensive. And it sounds like you have a bit more streamlined way of getting things done just because you're so used to doing it. And we do have a you know fair number of dragon people, including people on the panel here. 
So I was wondering, uh, what what is it like shipping from you to say the UK or Europe as far as? Uh, so I think we just shipped uh, an SDC to the UK. It wasn't just the SDC. I thought they bought an Amiga product as well. Uh, but think shipping and I can confirm that um, I think shipping was like 22 bucks or something like that. It wasn't anything outrageous. Uh, one of the, one of the benefits we've had uh, with uh, Canada post, which is our primary shipper is um, your discount is based on volume, right? So the more you ship in a month, the greater your discount is. And we completely 100% turn that disc around that discount around to the consumer. Uh, right. So we're not kind of, keeping that money. So uh, the API uh, that's built into our website <clears throat> factors in that discount. So, uh, I mean, I've shipped stuff to Australia uh, just last week, a very large shipment to a, uh, an, a Commodore user group. It was like a kilogram worth of stuff. Uh, you know, sorry for those of you in the audience that don't use the metric system. It's like 2.2 pounds. Uh, it was like 38 bucks. So it's not, it's not outrageous. Um, and we, we try to pass whatever discounts we get through, uh, our shippers. And we do have, you know, we do use UPS and FedEx if need be and, uh, avoid DHL at all costs, but we use other couriers if need be, if people want stuff really quickly, but, you know, turnaround time is usually at least to the UK is about 10 to 12 days. It might be a little bit longer right now with the holiday season, uh, cause there is a mad rush through the, uh, postal system, but it's not, uh, it's not outrageous. And those prices are Canadian by the way. So that's like, I don't know, three bucks American or something like that based on the exchange rate. <laughs> and of course, obviously you ship to the States too. So it's... Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, it's our largest customer base is in the States, like by far. Cool. And um, you've got cap kits now, I, I think for all the different Cocos, Coco ones, twos, threes, and even different versions of each, because it's a little bit different depending on what age the particular model is. They are slightly different. Uh, I think I mentioned this in last week's show. There's a few values uh, that uh, really bang in my head on as to the electrical theory, why they used a very specific uh, cap, which makes no sense to me. And uh, I know you guys mentioned, no, it's probably because it was cheap. Um, some of them are very hard to find, uh, but we, uh, we managed to secure uh, what we need. So there's full cap kits and we'll even do the recap and for you, uh, which, you know, if people aren't comfortable, um, I think Curtis, has a habit of setting his hair on fire every time he turns on a soldering iron. So that's why I don't um, do it anymore. Yep. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we, we will gladly do it for you, including uh, diagnosing any problem that the uh, machine has. I've actually, I've actually had a lot of fun kind of doing a, like a deep dive into the hardware uh, and the theory uh, behind how the machine works. It's actually, it's quite elegant. I'm not going to lie. Um, I mean, it's not as easy as a 64, which is, and that's not a, that's not a cheap shot at either machine. Uh, but, um, uh, I'll have to give Tandy engineers credit. They did a, a pretty good job on, uh, the layout of that system and how it, uh, how it works, all the buses. You, you also have some, uh, tool sets and stuff that are pretty well generic to any machine too, that you also sell, don't you? Like, you know, uh, yeah, we've got like, you know, uh, I, I, whatever, whenever we have an itch that we need to scratch, uh, for a custom tool or anything, uh, we then turn it into a product. Uh, you know, uh, chip straighteners and resistor lead benders and uh, a whole bunch of other little goodies that, that you know, whatever 
you know, whenever we feel a need and we might create a, uh, a die or a jig for something, we turn around and make it a product. Cause you know, if, if we need it, I'm sure people in the community need it too. So, I mean, there's no harm in, in releasing that. Uh, we're working on right now. I know it's not Tandy related, but we're working on, um, uh, a, uh, a kind of a benchtop power supply for at least Commodore micros. Uh, and I say about Tandy's is they all got built in power supplies, but in the Commodore world, they don't, uh, and kind of, you know, we, Every time I needed to work on a machine, I'd be digging, looking for a power supply for a C16 or a 128 or something. It was just like, you know what? I'm just going to build one bench power supply that'll power everything. Uh, and then in turn, turn around and say, hey, if anybody wants it, we'll sell it as a kit, right? Uh, so yeah, there, you know, whenever we find something that kind of will fill a gap, we, we turn around and offer it to the community. Well, that's a question I can give to Karen and, and Steve too, then. Uh, like I know the Dragons actually had a separate power supply and I know that's, something that tends to go at times and john whitworth had made one pack of 20 i think which he sold out pretty well immediately now he's actually doing second run kit form only because he doesn't really want to get into manufacturing power supplies so for karen and steve do you think that's something that'd be worthwhile looking into for for frank uh possibly so the the bit that fails for the dragon is an external transformer which has got like two two ac two windings providing ac to the to the dragon and then the sort of rectifier blah de blahs all inside the dragon. Um, but what Phil and John manufactured was a something that would just take a standard 12 volt input um, that mounts inside the dragon instead of instead of its sort of rectifier blah de blah board. Oh, so kind of bypassing uh, the rectifier circuitry. Yeah, so so you provide your own 12 volt supply. Um, you don't need to use the AC. Uh, brick, which has, apparently they have a tendency to, to die. None of mine have, but <laughs> yeah, that's um, a common problem yeah. in the 64 world too. So yeah, I think John has committed to making a few more, but he did say that he didn't really want to get into doing it full time. I think it takes a lot of his time. Uh, you could, yeah. The problem with uh, anything uh, uh, regarding power supplies, especially if you're selling anything that connects to mains is, I mean, we are an actual corporation. Uh, you know, you require regulatory body approval uh, if you're going to sell it, right? Um, and uh, I mean, we, we try to play by the rules. So, uh, you know, whatever design has to be at least cleared by a regulatory body. And I know that there's like cross-country agreements of recognition. So in Canada, you know, one of five bodies, the, the primary one here is the CSA, the Canadian Standards Authority. So anytime we create anything that uh, essentially plugs into mains, uh, it's got to be cleared by them, approved by them. It's got to have a little sticker saying it's certified by them. Um, and that's the problem you tend to get into when you're kind of working on power supplies outside kind of the hobby thing. Uh, so, you know, that increases the price, obviously, because uh, I think like CSA approval, I think it's like five grand. Uh, so, you know, you got to take your, you know, you got to take three, units with you to them and give it to them and your schematics and pay $5,000 and then pay, I guess like three bucks a sticker afterwards. So it gets pricey. And, you know, uh, at the end of the day, it's not like we can mass produce 10,000 of them to make it worth. Cause I mean, I wish the community was big enough to produce power supplies, uh, at those kind of numbers, but they're not. So, you know, we're trying to find a way of selling a kit, uh, which kind of will bypass that, whether that's using, um, you know, uh, a uh, switch mode power supply already where we don't have to, you know, do any tracing that requires mains voltage. 
Um, so you, it's, it's kind of a, it's a sticky windy road that you end up going down. Uh, and the last thing I want is, uh, I mean, any illegal issues because I mean, nobody really wants that. So the board in question, it, it takes an external 12 volt supply, which you, you provide the board in question, no means, no means. Um, however, John is when he sent them out, because I bought a couple, he does include sheets of disclaimer, disclaimer, this is a hobbyist, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested in that project. Um, but like I said, I mean, we're, we're what we really want to do is fill voids, right? Uh, you know, it's great that uh, lots of people are working on stuff and that's fantastic. And we're not, you know, we don't want to cannibalize anything. We just kind of want to see where the holes are, where the voids are and, and where we can help and even help uh, other people who um, have projects that would like to, you know, make larger runs. Uh, I mean, we have pick and place machines. We've got uh, reflow ovens and uh, we just ordered a, um, a uh, solder wave uh, table so that we can do, you know, through whole components like this a lot faster than me sitting three beers in trying to solder everything by hand because uh, it's quite time consuming. So, I mean, we've got the capability to do, you know, smallish to medium sized runs. And if there are people out there that have projects that they'd like to have uh, produced in larger quantities, I mean, we're, we're here to help. Cool. I, I think you'll definitely might have some takers on, on that on that in the future. There's a lot of hardware projects on the go at the moment. So yeah, it's been a you know it's, the community's been fantastic. You know, uh, uh, you know we've uh, working on uh, cabling as well. Uh, you know, so that uh, like the RGB cabling for the Coco Three and kind of little things like that. And again, it's mostly it was like, hey, I need one. I'm going to make one, and hell, we'll sell them too at the same time. So that's kind of always been our uh, our MO, to say the least. Well, I know there's been some requests lately uh, for people that have multiple retro machines. Like, for example, the, the Amiga 1084S will work on a Cocoa as long as you do the cabling right. Um, so that'd be an example. Or maybe Apple 2GS monitors. I think Sloopy's done some stuff with that, too. So that, that'd be a nice niche to fill. Because they used to be produced all the time. I used to buy them at Rainbow Fest and Cocoa Fests. And, and they had the schematics and everything else. But they've been kind of lost over the years. And now a lot of people don't know how to make them anymore. So that'd be something like if you already have one of those monitors, one of the other machines and it literally just plugs straight in and works. Yeah. The cable I've been working on is for our GBI for the, for 1084 X. That's exactly what I've been working on. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping sometime early next week, they'll be up on the site. Uh, I think I've got 20, 25 made already. So it's a good enough start runner. If people want them, they're there. Yeah, I, I like I know the RGB analog ones. We used to interchange monitors between the Atari ST, the Amiga, and the Cocoa Three just willy nilly pretty well. You just needed, you know, this needs a positive, this needs a negative, and whatever else it was. Why would you ever use an Atari ST? I'll let Boat answer that since he's starting an Atari ST show. <laughs> We're gonna find out all about it, Frank. Come January, <laughs> I know all about it. I got I got a couple. Uh... Uh, 1024s that I usually beat on when I get frustrated. So, yeah, well aware of it. And I, of course, I have to defend the Atari ST because when Kevin Darling was doing the uh, OS 9 level 2 version 3 upgrade, he actually got flown into Micware specifically work on OS K for the Atari ST. So, you know, there's a bit of sister brotherhood there too. So, speaking of OSs, we've, uh, I kind of, I know a guy that's working on Nitros. Uh, so we're, uh, we're going to be offering SD cards fully loaded, uh, as well with SDCs to make people's lives easier. Um, you know, with, uh, SDC Explorer and, and whatever else we can 
legally stick on this card, uh, you know, so people can kind of just plug it in and go type of thing. Cool. Uh, Nick Moreni, since you're on here and, and quite a bit of your stuff is now freely available except for the recent stuff here, is that something you'd be interested in having as part of that bundle? Like your older stuff? I, uh, say again, I'm, I'm, I'm doing two things at once. <laughs> I thought you were hearing it upside and, down. Yeah, sleeping and uh, yeah, gone. <laughs> no, Frank was just mentioning he's doing, he's planning on doing some pre-bundles of some software with the SDC, like SDC Explorer and stuff. And he said anything legally they could throw on, you could pre-bundle with it. So when people order a Coco SDC from him, They'll actually have an SD oh. card included with some stuff. And I figured some of your older stuff that's free yeah, download well, anyway. You can pretty well put all my old stuff there. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, official permission. There you go. Fantastic. Now, if Nick would just write some decent games, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I've started learning 6309 Fine. after years of you telling me not to. <laughs> anyway, okay. Next. It's not <laughs> an easy chip to find. Let me tell you something. That's not an easy chip to find. Are they actually still being manufactured or? In small runs. So we managed, I managed to secure them through a, a Canadian electronic, actually they're global, but they're Canadian based called Future Electronics. Uh, and I learned that they are produced under license uh, because there are some medical uh, industry machines uh, that are still using them and being produced. So they do oh. make them but they make them in very specialized runs, usually yeah. for uh, you know these companies that make medical equipment that still require them. Uh, so I managed to say, hey, you, you know, got any on the shelf? So I secured a hundred of them, uh, which is fantastic because uh, you know it's not like you can just find them through DigiKey or Newark or uh, one of the regular um, distributors because no one's making them on a regular basis. They're made out. Yeah, of I think most of the ones being offered right now are like basically ones that have been taken off existing boards and stuff. So you're going to use parts. Correct. And it's always dangerous kind of, you know, going overseas to various used chip shops because you never really know what you're going to get. Uh, and that becomes a problem. Uh, uh, like the, uh, the Xilinx CPLDs for the, the Coco SDC. I mean, I got a batch of uh, 60 from overseas and like three of them worked. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's risky when you kind of go down that road. So uh, try to mitigate the risk and see if you can actually find them. It's, it's a challenge, but there are always avenues and always someone's always got something somewhere on a shelf, somewhere that they've forgotten about. One thing that might be good is uh, ideas on what Coco things to do um, is a CPU board with the real time clock on there. And maybe even a, I don't know, a sound chip or something else that's needed, but I'm glad you said that. Uh, So uh, the Buffy project is currently working on uh, a uh, full replacement for Motorola 68000, um, uh, which is, I mean, using Amigas and Macs. Uh, and the same uh, core development uh, is going to be pushed down to kind of, you know, 8-bit micros as well. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Buffy is like, it's in my hands. It's in the next room. I can go get it if you want to see it. Uh, and once that is finalized, and we're kind of hoping that production will hit February, uh, the orders in to get them produced. It's not something that we can actually do in-house because that's very, very small components, BGA, there's board-to-board stuff on it. Um, that we would then move it to a kind of uh, configurable uh, 8-bit micro that you can 
you know, you can make it a 6502, you can make it whatever you want. Uh, you know, they'll have onboard memory uh, and um, hopefully onboard programmable logic uh, through an FPGA that cool. you could then add if you want, you know, audio and anything else. All right. Cool. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, we just had this conversation. It's hard finding some of those chips, right? And modern day replacements are needed. Uh, they're needed for, uh, especially in the in the Commodore world, more than anywhere, because most of that stuff was proprietary to them when they bought Moss. And you know, once you know, once they kind of were said and done, you couldn't get a Vic two anymore, and you couldn't get a PLA, and you couldn't get this that CIA's. Uh, you know, thankfully, people started recreating them, and there is a, a an FPGA replacement for the Vic that's being kind of beta test right now, and hopefully, we'll hit the market in the next six months. And the idea is to do the same for other 8-bit micros uh, to have kind of programmable replacement chips for lack of a better term. Kind of like our gimme X is on the COVID-3 technique. Yeah. Yeah. But this will just literally be, you know, it'll be, the idea will be, it'll be platform agnostic. So, you know, I'm going to stick it in a 64. Here's the core for the 64. You want to stick it in a Coco? Here's the core you need, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Cool. That would be awesome because it'd be cheaper too because you could get you know more in bulk because it covers every retro machine. Correct. That's the idea, right? Kind Even Ken's TI ninety nine that he just picked up. Nothing wrong with the TI ninety nine. That was my third TI ninety nine. So you're just saying the, the TI ninety nine is better than the Atari ST? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> that's uh, you heard that from me. That's for sure. So when is Boat <laughs> going to start a TI ninety nine uh, show? You know, I've got to space these things out as to not anger Aaron. The plan <laughs> is to slowly roll them out one by one until it's just a show every day. I think you should be more worried about getting sleep than anything oh, else. Yeah. I think your schedule's a bit full as it is. Well, what, what, what Bo does is he sloughs out most of the hard work onto Aaron, so it's Aaron's problem. It's not his. Right? I mean, all Bo has up. to do is show up at Boat Fest and uh, yeah, you know, drink a lot or something. Collect my so. check. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, listen, I mean, we're we're here. If anyone's got anything that uh, there are any holes that they think should be filled, you know, uh, I'm easy to get a hold of. You get a hold of us right through our site or on our Discord channel or through any one of our social media things or help through Curtis or Boat or anyone else. Because uh, I mean, we've got the ability. We're you know, we've kind of built the infrastructure to do this, uh, and uh, you know, let's fill the holes and kind of scratch the itches. And Frank, if people have ideas, you're easily available on Discord too, right? Correct. Smoke signals. I, I'll answer to anything. <laughs> we, uh, one of the things we kind of pride ourselves on is our customer service. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, shady characters out there. And uh, one of the things we try not to do is uh, fall into that category at all. Yeah. I just want to mention to Bo too, Aaron mentioned in the chat there that uh, Bo is physically killing him. So. <laughs> As a disclaimer, we uh, we we sponsor a lot of boat and air and shows. They do fantastic work. Um, keeps me they keep me very entertained. I I said to I'm not sure if I said to this boat or Aaron or both of them that uh, they'd be great in like this uh, shopping channel kind of sitcom show because they could sell anything. They really could. <laughs> Maybe one day. Anyone got any questions? That's all the ones I wanted to ask. Anybody else? Like maybe some of the other people that are doing hardware here. Like, are how many 
people would be interested in doing design and then not have to worry about all the manufacturing stuff. And if, especially when you've got the flow ovens and everything else to make it easy, is that something people would be interested in? Well, you know, that may come to pass because when you first create a project, you want to do everything with it. But then after a little while, you might want to create the next project and not want to keep soldering network jacks onto this thing. <laughs> so <laughs> that could come up. Yeah, but but soldering is fun. No, it's well, not. Yeah, it's, it's not really fun when you're me. sitting. It's not fun when you're sitting down and you you count your solder points and you've got like six thousand solder points to do in the next hour, and you're like, oh god, somebody shoot me. Uh, hence why <laughs> we decided to go with the wave soldering machine to make life a little bit easier for some of these through hole uh, yeah. components. I mean, I mean most of the stuff we designed is all SMD. There's definitely a difference between recreational soldering and uh, and that sort of thing. For They're sure. both hideously uh, dangerous. I don't know what you're talking about. But... <laughs> I don't have any hair to burn, so it's not a problem for me. <laughs> and when you said about the um, diagnostic stuff you're looking into, are you talking yep. about something like the Commodore has, like the whole harness, the whole deal? Uh, well... The Commodore harness uh, was a lot easier because Commodore actually had a full harness and, and it was documented. So it became a lot easier. I mean, it had some bugs and the bugs were fixed. Uh, but I'm looking at maybe, I don't want to get into too much yet because it's still kind of theory on the whiteboard. But the idea would be something similar uh, using customized software that, that would be able to help diagnose stuff. Yeah. Okay. Just this would have to be and is being designed from scratch as opposed to the Commodore stuff. They kind of had, uh, they had a kit already, uh, which is a little bit less complex than the one we sell, but at least there was a kind of a starting point uh, that could be built uh, off of. I mean, we sell diagnostic stuff for every machine we offer, right? So it's like, hell, why not the uh, Coco? Cool, any, any other questions from anybody? On the panel or the chat for that matter, I haven't been paying attention to the chat as heavy as I should be. Yeah, Besides all the smart comments, machine man. you guys here. What's that? You guys got this running down like a fine old machine. <laughs> Alan Murphy, you've made a couple of suggestions here, like Coco Y cables for those who don't want to wait for MPIs. Uh, Konex multi slots could get resurrected. Well, Rick yelled at me for that one go um <laughs> <laughs> sorry rick um yeah so there's tons and tons of stuff as far as gaps one of the ones that comes to mind i mean if you haven't read like the um colorful history of coco book that boise and bill did or um farna's underdog book there's a ton of stuff that used to be there that's no longer there that may be able to be resurrected. And one that I particularly noticed as I'm working through all the sound cards is that most of the Votrack speech chip cards are impossible to find. But there are modern recreations of Votrax's uh, chip idea. So it might be possible to even resurrect some of those old speech cards without having to tear apart, you know, arcade machines or um, stuff like that to get those same chips. They're, they're, yeah, that's, so, a, that's a fantastic idea. Um, let's see. I think I threw some other ones in there too, but uh, that was off the top of my head. 
We need a new gimmicks uh, computer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not stepping into that. Yeah, maybe maybe you charge as much as the original gimmicks did. Did you know, like you know, six to ten grand US or something? Maybe. Yeah. Well, you know what kind of logo it would need on the back to sell for the price it would have to sell for. Certain fruit. I'm, maybe? Uh, I'm one of the. Yeah, it might be fruit shaped. The, uh, yes. <laughs> I'm one of the suckers about the new Mega 65. For those of you who are uh, kind of Amiga or Commodore fans, so I uh, I totally get overspending on things. <laughs> I just gotta anyway, have one. It, I think there's a lot of opportunities there, and of course, now that you got the Coco SDC out with, uh, and we did need an alternate <laughs> source of that. I know uh, Tech was doing it un until Richard decided to step away. Ed Snyder, he does it in batches when he gets time, but he's got so many other products. You, sometimes you can wait three to four months before you can get one. And the fact that you've sold eight or nine already in the span of a week, um, I, I think that, that proves that there's definitely a market for. Oh, of course, yeah, things, absolutely, so. absolutely. The user, the uh, the kind of the user base, the Tandy user base has been fantastic. I've got great comments. Like I said at the Coco Show, we had a whole bunch of different Coco fans come by. Uh, and we did get some sideways looks from some of the Commodore people, but oh well. <laughs> Um, you know, the Tandy, the Coco 3 was set up there and uh, had the SDC running and people were uh, screwing around with it. So, I mean, we're here. Uh, like I said, we got a few other products that will be launched, uh, some this week, some next week. Uh, so you can keep an eye on the site uh, or through any of our social media channels. Um, you know, if, uh, if any of you guys, you know, do uh, got your own YouTube shows, you want to review stuff, don't hesitate to contact us. Um, I mean, we sent a crap load of stuff to both Aaron. Uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. I sent a whole bunch of stuff to Aaron. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I've been told I'm not allowed to send anything to Bo because he's not allowed to open or touch anything. Uh, I break but, things uh, easily, yes. Yeah, yeah so, uh, and we will be barring any restrictions attending Boat Fest. So uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Actually, that brings up another question. As, assuming, you know, COVID restrictions and stuff uh, lower, would you be interested in coming to Coco Fest in, in Absolutely. Maine? absolutely Chicago. without question and yeah, we've got our little travel kit uh tablecloths and signs and everything why not we'll have a good time sounds good uh thanks for making some time for us um anyone got any questions you guys know how to get a hold of me yeah and we posted links to your your website and even the cocoa page specifically in the youtube chats people watching this after the fact can, can go check it out and uh, definitely thank you for doing the Coco SDCs because I, I know that has been a, a bit of a bone of contention here because our second supplier kind of pulled out of it so that uh, we were back to the you know, three-month waits between different product runs. So I do want to mention uh, one quick thing, kind of one quick plug. We are running a uh, contest right now, uh, partnering up with uh, all the shows that we sponsor to um, uh, raise some money for the Daily Bread Food Bank, which is one of the largest food banks here in Toronto. Uh, you know, one of the things we like doing is giving back to the community. Uh, and although I know we don't sponsor any cocoa specific shows, uh, there are a um, uh, list of shows. You can find them through our social media account where you can use a specific code if you are buying any cocoa products. And that'll help uh, raise some money uh, for the Daily Bread Food Bank here in Toronto. Because, you know, most of us sit around and, you know, debate and, and argue and, there's still people in this world that have a hard time putting food on the table. So uh, it's a perfect opportunity. It's a perfect time to kind of give back and help those that uh, are less fortunate. Yeah. If, if you guys want to uh, support, you know, we do the Coco show 
and we are not uh, yet sponsored by Retro Rewind directly, but the Amigos Network, just in general, if you want to use the code TISAMIGOS when you check out, you can save 10% off your order, and those proceeds will go to the uh, the Daily Bread Food Bank. There's cool. uh, seven days left in the contest, uh, which time we will be uh, end the uh, winning show. Um, not suggesting you use uh, Boat and Aaron's code. I'm not getting into that one because there's a whole bunch of shows we sponsor, but the winning show will win a uh, two fifty dollars gift certificates that they can give away to their viewers as they see fit. So, uh, and plus, you're helping you know you're helping people that that really need it. Okay, well, thanks, thanks a lot, Frank. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for producing the stuff, and thanks for all the upcoming stuff we're we'll working on. And we hope to see you at Coco Fest in May. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Enjoy your day. Okay. Thanks. And since uh, it's been mentioned about the Boat Fest here, so I thought, uh, Boat, since you're actually on here, if you want to explain that, because that's something that might be of interest to some people here if they can make it out to West Virginia during that time. You want to explain exactly what Boat Fest is? We kind of very briefly mentioned it, but we didn't, it didn't really get the details, like what exactly is it? What, what is happening at it, et cetera? Sure. Um, well, it's uh, Boat Fest is the Amigos' first annual uh, retro computing uh, festival. Uh, we are hosting it in a uh, glorious downtown Hurricane, West Virginia, um, which is actually pretty centrally located to many people on the Eastern seaboard. You know, we're about three hours away from Columbus, uh, three and a half hours away from Cincinnati, about seven hours away from DC. Um, and of course you can fly into the, uh, the airport here in Charleston and we're about a uh, half an hour away from the, the airport in Charleston. Um, it is not going to be a system specific um, show. I'll go ahead and share my screen here. Um, we are, we take all, we take all comers. So if you are into the Coco, if you're into the C64, if you're into the Amiga, if you're a console guy, uh, want to have you, this is going to be a very, uh, energetic, fun festival where there's going to be contests. We're going to do a charity auction. Uh, Frank's going to be there. He's going to be recapping machines live and in person. So if you, uh, if you have a machine that needs some work done, you can bring it to Frank and he might be able to fix it right there for you. Um, we, uh, this is going to be uh, June 24th and 25th. So we're announcing it early. So there's plenty of time. However, we are limited to only 50 tickets because the, the, the room itself can only hold 50 people. So um, we hope to have a, a strong contingent of Coco people there. Uh, if you are interested in uh, learning more, uh, I'm in the process of creating the, um, the schedule. I know that we're going to have live tapings of all of the Amigos shows, uh, you know, the Coco show, our Sinclair, uh, the ST show and Amigos at the event. Plus, uh, Rob Flack O'Hara is going to be recording an episode of Sprite Castle, which is a C64 podcast there. Uh, we're going to have contests and giveaways. Uh, it's going to be a real fun time. There's going to be carousing. There's probably going to be drunken karaoke at some point. So I encourage all of you, if you are anywhere near, uh, to uh, to come on by and be part of the first boat fest. Drunken karaoke sounds like something I would entice Stevie to come out, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think so. So, yeah, okay, thanks for that, because that, that's something that, uh, like, we kind of briefly touched on it, but we didn't really explain it was like a retro computer thing. It was just <laughs> so. <laughs> well, it's only it's it's mostly just a, an excuse to get together and and have a good time with computers on the side. Yeah, I, like it would be kind of fun too. Like, I, I wouldn't mind doing. Like, if I I'm hoping maybe I can attend too. I'm going to try my damnedest to do it, and it's going to depend on work. But uh, I would love to see stuff like if we if some of us bring our retro computers out 
maybe set them up all side by side and like take the exact same game and oh, the exact yeah. port and just, you know, have a big comparison. We can play Absolutely. each other's well, I can tell you just from our own collections, we're going to have an, an Amstrad CPC, a Spectrum Plus 2, C64, a bunch of Amigas. Aaron's bringing his virtual pinball machine, uh, Vectrix. So uh, we'll have, uh, and of course the Cocos, the Coco 3. So uh, we'll have a wide variety of systems there and everybody is welcome to bring whatever equipment they want to, for sure. Cool, thanks. Okay, so I think I'm on to the uh, the regular news now, finally. Oh, Curtis, can I just interrupt for a second? Oh, sorry, yes. Yeah, you had an announcement on behalf of Mr. Dave. Yeah, so Mr. Dave's uh, Kickstarter is now officially over and it's funded. So it's going ahead with that. And he has discovered um, that the Aaron dolls are already available in Japan. <laughs> Just need wow. to put a little bit of glasses on there. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and that does look like some of the outfits he's been wearing on the team speaker regulars lately, too. So, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah you can uh, track those down in Japan. There you go. Awesome. That was the announcement from Mr. Dave. Anyways. <laughs> Actually, Aaron just responded in chat. He said, woohoo, ha, how did you know what I wear to bed? <laughs> Okay, thank, thanks for the update there. All right. And and, and good luck, to, or thanks to Mr. Dave also for getting his, uh, his project funded here and, and then working on that hardware. That hardware just sounds awesome. And I'm really looking forward to what people, especially with basic programmers who, as I mentioned before, you know, like learning machine language and learning the hardware intricately inside and out is not the easiest thing in the world to do. And some people just don't have the right mindset or patience for it. But if you can write a game in basic with some of those features, just by doing a, you know, a single poke to shift an entire window over on a background, and parallax scroll, then I think some amazing stuff can come out of that. Okay, so I will take over the screen now to share the regular news. So let me just get this fired up. Hey, speaking of hardware and, and you know going through old hardware, we talked about uh, the Patreon that uh, Roger Taylor set up for the you know, fine disassembly of the gimme chip and getting inside the chips themselves. And we found out on the first one where you actually got into the main silk screen, what the code names for them were, which we didn't know before. But now he's actually got very rough um, shots of the actual 1986 and 1987 production gimmies to show you what the differences are. And there's actually a fair bit. Um, this is kind of a little bit of a zoom up. But you can kind of see some of the details here. Now, the, the ROM and, and memory MMU palette stuff is fairly similar, but you can see that the orientation has been completely changed. It was you know, one big space here that was taller than it was wide on the original Tequila 1986 gimme. And it's split into two chunks here, going the other directions down the 87. And I do know the 86 had some timing issues. There was a certain horizontal scrolling that would only work on every second or fourth byte or something like that, or would crash and freeze. And there were some other things that you know it was a little bit flaky. Sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't type of thing. So uh, the 87 gimme seems to have been redesigned specifically to change the lengths of traces, et cetera, to get things to function in the precise timing needed. So it's kind of interesting just to get kind of the history of, of what they had to do to change things. And of course, this is after the original prototypes, which came out, you know, six months before the tequila version of the chip, and then the, the huge Cocoa 3 board that Microware had, which is basically all the individual chips to duplicate what the gimme was going to do. And of course, you know, Rogers, you know, going at that, all these individual bits now and learning exactly what all this works, looking to see if there's any hidden features, 
you might be able to even trace some, uh, you know, following some of the traces, et cetera, to figure out what certain things should react. So we can try to see if, you know, some hidden features are still on the chip as we've discussed before. So uh, that's another uh, patron that if you guys want to support, there's a lot of work being done. This is not cheap. It's not easy. Um, there's some special hardware and stuff, you know, they have to acid, you know, the chip. Uh, Sleepy, I think you know more about the actual, what they have to do to get this kind of stuff done. But it, it's not just, you know, simple stuff. Yeah, basically they have to use some uh, pretty heavy chemicals to remove the uh, plastic to start with. And then they go and photograph each layer as they remove it so that they can get the full stack of the uh, silicon. And then they put it all back together. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to following what he's what he's finding out here. There's a lot of interesting things going on here. And I mean, the fact that he got praise from Ed Snyder himself saying, amazing, this is finally happening. Please share what you find. And of course, that is the creator of the Gimme X, which is duplicating it from a functional standpoint, as far as we know. Um, but is it perfect? This will be the way to <laughs> help find out and maybe possibly fix any you know compatibility glitches that might show up. Next up, and this is kind of the same thing, except this is on the T1 VDG chip. So Alan Huffman uh, has this discussion that he found uh, from, I think it's C8 corners. I can't remember which system it was for. But basically there was another system that used the VDG and they've been asking questions about the T1 because they used the stock VDG for that too. And they were actually were looking at, uh, Sean Riddle did this thing where he actually took a picture and this is actually some of the connections inside the VDG for the font. So this is the ROM memory inside the VDG itself. Zoom that up a little bit. Um, and that's been actively discussed in this stardot.org.uk, which I will go into the little bit of discussion there uh, just to show it. And it actually has the name of the machine because I can't remember off the top of my head. But I mean, we were talking about uh, the last week or the week before about, you know, looking at the gimme where the actual ROM for the character sets and stuff are um, in case we wanted to change them. You, you could, for example, change the gimme to have a pre-bolded font, more like a PC font rather than the thinner gimme characters as they are now if you wanted to if you're duplicating the gimme. So if I go to that discussion group here, so Acorn, that's Acorn the, Adam. Yeah, yeah that's the site where um, all the Acorn machines, uh, like the BBC Micro and stuff like that are discussed. Okay. So this is when they were trying to figure out, you know, what the exact pixels were set on the T1 VDG, because there was some talk about some of the emulators, you know, deferred how they rendered some certain things. Um, and of course, the, there was only one T1 VDG, as far as we know, that uh, had one fixed ROM. So they were trying to make sure everything's accurate. And we kind of get into it. And that's where Alan kind of got involved reading it and uh, kind of doing some follow up on it, too. So it's a pretty interesting discussion if you want a bunch of the intricate details of the uh, the T1 VDG. Now, of course, the, the VDGs did have an extra ROM option, and that's how the lower kits worked on the Coco. So you could actually add an extra ROM with your own custom character set. Dennis Bathory kits used to sell one, for example. So you could still modify them out above and beyond, but this is to get into the core of the T1 itself, the stuff that was built into the chip. And then you can kind of see where it's actually doing the things. And some subtle differences here too, like the PAL and NTSC fonts are slightly different. Like the E has one extra pixel on the PAL in the middle versus the NTC one, which I probably wouldn't have even noticed. And the same on the F and the three. So I'm not quite sure why they made them different between PAL and because of the difference in scan lines. It makes it's a readability issue with the difference in the uh, the signal that comes out. Okay, because I mean the scan stuff was usually more with the vertical refresh being different. So the horizontal, I didn't think they would need to change. 
Well, because of the extra vertical resolution, things are going to be smaller. So you want more pixels to be able to be seen. Oh, okay. Okay. That does make sense then. Okay. Because that's something I, I never realized that would have been different. I wouldn't even have thought to look, to be honest. Anyway, very yeah. interesting discussion if you're into the core details. Which, go ahead. Commodore ran into that when they were moving uh, their font back and forth for various TV views and stuff. And you'll find that Commodore and Atari made little line-by-line -line changes and dot changes just to try to make it look good on TVs as they moved into different world markets. So you got PAL and CCAM and things like that. They slowly but surely changed the font over time. Okay. I didn't know that either. Cool. I learned new stuff today. And then Alan also released one of his videos. So this one here is a, a bit of code for bits and color basic. It's a six and a half minute video. And it's basically showing a way to do bit calculations fairly easy to understand rather than having to remember, you know, complicated math. So it's not the quickest way to do it, but it's good for prototyping or doing a quick test. So in this case, he shows you how to use the power function. You two to the power of the bit number you want, and it returns the value. Now, you wouldn't use this in like a game or something if you would need to set bit flags or something, because it's quite slow. It's using the, you know, raise to the power function in Microsoft Basic, which is dog slow, as he actually discovered when he tried running it later uh, in a loop to see what it would be like as far as getting a hit. But if you just need it for a quick, you know, interactive program or just to test, you know, if I set this bit and this bit and this bit, you know, you can just do it through the two to the power of, you know, each bit number. And it's, it's a bit easier to understand and grok yourself. So it's a nice little tutorial for those who are not really familiar with those functions. And also getting into a little bit into AND and ORing and stuff like that, too. So nice little informational instructional video there. Next up, this one's, um, and actually it's not really news news, but it's it's a cartridge I had not seen before. I had, had heard of these, <clears throat> but I've never actually seen one before. And it's a Cocoa Tuner. So this is came out in 1984 by Real-Time Specialists or Specialties. And basically it was a, uh, it's kind of like a tuning fork. It actually would let you tune a piano or tune a musical instrument and make sure that your C pitch is dead on and not like three cents flat or something like that. So I had not ever seen that, like even at uh, Rainbow Fest, because I didn't go to my first Rainbow Fest ASICs. I don't think these guys were even around by then. So I'd never saw it, but it was, uh, it's one of the more rare cartridges, I would say. And if you're a musician, it's, it's actually a pretty useful one because you can tune all kinds of musical instruments with it. Is anybody here on the panel? I was hoping Brian Shivering would still be here because he's the music man, of course, and, uh, you know, did a lot of stuff with synths and stuff in the 80s. And I was wondering if he'd actually got one of these or, or played around with it. But has anybody else in the panel ever seen one of these before? kind of curious on if you can set it to uh you know various tunings because there are different frequencies used in different areas of the world like in the united states or north america we usually use a440 to tune uh wind instruments but i know in other areas of the world uh, uh they use different frequencies so i'm just wondering how extensible the tuner is that's a good question and i have no idea I have to hit up Larry Anderson because he's actually got it. I know it's got a ROM in it that basically does most of this stuff. So whether it's expanded enough for international or different you know, types of instruments, that's a good question. I don't know. If you read down further, um, I had read this a little bit. I don't remember where, but it kind of implied by some other people that it wasn't as accurate as maybe you want it to be. But oh, really? I don't know. Yeah, I thought that I saw something where it said the accuracy was not... Uh, yeah, I'm, I don't remember exactly where it was. I was reading through the replies. And like I said, it's replies to replies. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. But I could have swore there was one that said, like, the accuracy was not as good, maybe, as you would like. 
Hmm, that's surprising because I know that there was another video that we showed here about a month ago that was going through the auto spectrum analyzer and they were surprised at how accurate the cocoa was at reading the tones. Um, right. But that thing's amazing. It's yeah. It's Steve. Flexing. That's, that's, that, that's <laughs> curious. We'll have to, well, maybe we'll have, well, one of us should contact uh, the guy that wrote the cell, Larry Anderson, and actually ask him because uh, I'd, I'd be interested. In, first of all, can it do what Boat's asking about, you know, switching the, the base frequencies and stuff? And then two, how accurate is it actually? I mean, it's just a timing loop that would make it that accurate. And you're not dealing with like 40 kilohertz signals or anything, or tones, I should say. Hey, I thought it was a curiosity piece that I had never seen in real life before. So next one here, Alexander, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, Sidorenko. Uh, he's building a Kobo 2 from scratch. So this is the very first shot he took, and it's kind of fuzzy and ghosty looking and stuff here. And he actually did improve the signal after he did some cleaning up here. So it ended up being, you know, pretty readable, not too bad. But then people were asking him, what do you mean you're building it from scratch? He said, well, I breadboarded a complete Coco 2. And so people asked him, well, can we see a picture of that? Which he supplied, which is over here. So there's a Coco 2 done on a breadboard. Now, this isn't like, you know, Pedro, who's actually making them replacement Coco 2 boards that will fit into a Coco 2 case, et cetera. This is like raw. <laughs> this is more like the Gimme X prototype, the microwave got type thing. But it's it's funny seeing that multiple people at the same time independently are actually, you know, recreating Cocos from scratch just by collecting the chips and the, uh, the different pieces to put it on. So that's definitely way beyond what I'd ever even consider doing. Have any of the other people here, because I know some people used to do repacks and stuff in the in the 90s. I think, Rick, you might have done some of those too. But uh, had any of you ever actually tried to like recreate a cocoa from scratch? No, we had real cocos, so we just bought them cheap and moved on. Got them out and put them in a PC case. <laughs> <laughs> right, or whatever you wanted to do. You could get a cocoa for, for dirt, so... Yeah, that's, true. that's back when they used to, to give them away in the auction because they couldn't sell them. Take it out of the box and stick it in a Tupperware thing and have it do whatever random thing you need it done. <laughs> it's... Has he got a, a picture of the underside of the board? Because I'd imagine that's a wire wrap. Oh, yeah. yeah it says, oh, that'd it be says good. it's wire wrap. Yeah, up there in one comment it says right there. Right. Oh, yeah, I just want to see if he has a picture of it. I don't think... Oh, no, there's no picture, but he does mention that it's wire wrap. I've never done a Coco, but I've done an Atari. Oh, okay. So you actually have that experience doing this. Pe yeah, Pedro's the only other guy I know that's actually done this kind of thing. So That's uh, Rocky Hill in the chat, if he's around. I've wrapped a few things, and they're great when you first do them, and then two years later when it doesn't work. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like in my case, I, I, the only thing I've ever wrapped is like Christmas presents. I'm not even very good at that. So. <laughs> Yeah, some of the embedded systems I worked on, uh, they were wire wrapped, and oh man, they you did not touch it once it was working. That was one don't of the move rules. It, don't don't breathe on it. Don't <laughs> breathe on it. Don't turn it off. Yeah, and solder some of the more uh, permanent uh, links, like your address bus, data bus, control bus, power bus. Well, anything. Once <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's way beyond me, but I thought that was really cool. So I wanted to show that off. Uh, next up, I was hoping Karen would still be on for this, but I think he's had to go if I saw his messages earlier. So this basically is basically, he's released another update to XROAR 1.0.3. 
This fixes some more MC10-6803 bugs on the instruction set that was pointed out by Ron Klein and Greg Dion. Um, fixed some external signaling. Um, I guess he originally did not have the video RAM restrained to the internal 4K, which is actually one of the things that we you know, don't like about the MC10 because you have this 16K RAM expansion or anything else. The video has to stay in that core 4K, but to emulate it properly, that's what you have to do. Uh, there's, you know, heart you know, modification. Well, if you just, yeah, you would have to, uh, if you disable it or some, put something external on, it does not automatically show up there, yeah. And then uh, there was an MPI uh, selected slot on reset issue that Tim Leonard found, which actually had caused problems with some other stuff too, if I remember. And also I know uh, Karen had mentioned to me earlier this morning when I was getting him arranged to come on, he mentioned there was another uh, bug in x -Force. So there's a 1.04 that'll be coming out soon too. Some more bug fixes, but I mean, he just added MC10 and Coco3 support all in the span of a month. So I mean, he's been pretty busy. It's bound to have a few bugs that have to get uh, done. But anyway, there's some bug fixes in 103, which you can actually get off of his site right now. And I'll mention as an aside too, um, I went to go look for Sockmaster's Gimme Access website, and I've tried a couple times. I thought there was just a glitch in the net or maybe a server somewhere, but it turns out that the original host providers for Sockmaster had kind of just left his pages up for, for years, even though they technically didn't want to do that kind of stuff anymore. And they actually did finally pull them all off last week. So Sockmaster's original sites are gone. So I got a hold of uh, Sock this morning, actually, and asked if he wanted me to maybe re-host his original pages. And then Karen had saw that too. And then Karen had already, because Karen uses the, uh, the Gimme Register reference that Sock had put up quite regularly, as I did. And he actually beat me to it and copied it off the Wayback Machine archive and put it up. Well, now I got the two of them talking to each other and Sock actually sent him an archive of almost the entire set of Coco website pages that Sock had done and given it to Karen. And Karen's already got it up on his XWare sites. So you can actually get to it now. Um, the details of that, I think, will be in the uh, Discord. Now, I'll, I'll actually officially kind of put it out next week here. There's one thing I think it's missing right now. I don't know if you guys remember this from Sock site, but I kind of had a history of video game controllers. And he does the families, like how the Atari related to the Nintendo and, you know, kind of the different family tree branches of how the different joysticks and game controllers came out. And it wasn't complete, but it gave a pretty good history. And uh, that one was not one he had had. So I think they're trying to see if they can recreate that one. And then Karen will put that up too, if they can. But basically, uh, the, the pages are now back. They'll be hosted on Karen's site. And uh, for those of you searching for those references, hopefully it'll feed through Google. And eventually when you look up uh, Gimme registers on the web, It'll find that site automatically that used to find socks instead of a broken link, which is what it's doing. Next up after that, uh, Mikey did another one of his videos here. And of course, we've been covering the ones he's been doing lately where he answers a technical question on Pi Drivewire and then immediately uses it to demonstrate a game. Uh, that is not what this video is. So this one, <laughs> this one here is actually going into debugging with XROAR and using GDB. Now, you guys that are more familiar with Linux and stuff, or can tell me exactly what GDB stands for. Hopefully, but it basically was, it was, it gives you a demonstration. Debugger. What's that? It's the GNU debugger. GNU debugger, okay. So he basically shows you how to set it up and how to run it with XROAR, and he's actually was using it to test some stuff on the Cocoa 3 core that's been added to XROAR that was causing some issues to boot Nitrous 9 is where they found this one problem only on the 6309. The 6809 version would boot fine. 6309 was causing issues, and that's one of the bugs that will be fixed in the new 104 XWAR that uh, Kieran's working on because they discovered this one little timing issue problem. Um, but it's a pretty good tutorial. So if you're if you're running XROAR and you want to be able to use the debugger like a lot of us have used in MAME, here's an alternative for you uh, using uh, XROAR. 
and it's a 20, 22 and a half minute video. So it's a pretty extensive one. Um, well worth it if you're into X word debugging. Next up here in the Cocoa Pie group on Facebook, John Strong, of course, who's been doing the uh, Pi 400 cases and stuff here. Now he's mentioned before he sells the case and he sells a little back plates to hold some of the connectors and stuff, but he does not sell the cabling. And a lot of people are asking, well, what cabling do I need? So he's not going to planning on selling these at any time, but he's actually given a complete cable list here that you can get on the Cocoa Pie group. So you know exactly what you need and how long, et cetera. Um, so now if you want to get these, you can actually just, you know, go in here, source them out from wherever you locally may have or whatever, and then you can get it all set up. So that was nice, John. And of course he's still selling the actual cases themselves. Next up, uh, Nick Rennie, I can't remember, did you ever get in contact with this guy? Because he's actually one of your fellow Aussies. Uh, who is it? His uh, name is Vince, and his um, channel is called Retrospect Reviews. We've actually covered him about a year ago. He did some other Cocoa stuff. And no, what he did, okay. Because on this particular one, he grew up with a Cocoa, and he remembers typing in stuff from uh, Rainbow and stuff. And uh, what he did here is, because it's Christmas, he picked a Rainbow, and he picked a, a Cocoa 1 and 2 based little graphical demo and he actually goes through the fun of and then uh, Aaron in the chat and uh, Brent actually did this in one of the recent ARG episodes of typing in a basic program for a magazine then trying to debug all the typing mistakes you did and hoping that the actual original code didn't have any typing mistakes because that sometimes happened too so he goes through the, the fun of it and then debugging it and stuff here and then he actually runs it it's actually joystick controlled from what I remember so I'll show him once he got it basically up and running Okay, so it's working still. So we got past this part. I'm thinking, please wait. Anything? Okay, so here we got uh, Santa Claus uh, riding in his sled above the houses. We got a Christmas tree, a church, and a tree, um, and two houses. Um, it says you can control this by joystick, but I'm not sure or keyboard. Maybe I've got it in the wrong port. Maybe. Okay. He's also using um, keyboard does the buggy version of BCC or something okay, of the whiteboard. Whiteboard in so that mode is not possible. I think it does say in the instructions that you can. Uh, but this, this is actually a basic demo. I don't remember seeing before and actually getting basic to try to do like this fake scrolling um, and then you know, a fairly large animation. Free, so I mean, it's running a bit slow, but I'm surprised it, it hasn't been modified. It off as well it hasn't it been. Yeah, the processor hasn't been updated or doesn't have uh, more than the... Though I think he's running VCC, so I don't think he's running so the okay, proper double speed stopped, because this is created for Cocoa 1 and 2, so it's it's yeah. possible it's running half as fast as it should. I thought I'd throw a little bit of Christmas theme landed. here since it's December. Anyway, I'll, I'll let you guys go check out the video there, but it kind of goes a bit into the, the, the retro feeling of typing in a a program listing in basic from a magazine you just received in the mail before Christmas type thing and seeing what you could put in there to show off to your family as to why they should spend another 500 bucks and buy you a disk drive. Next up, this is uh, Henry Reitfeld, who is one of the guys that uh, saw Frank at the, uh, the pet uh, convention in Toronto. And he's using his uh, Super ID hard drive uh, with a GoTech, and he actually does a, a brief two-minute video on demonstrating how you can back up stuff between the GoTech to the ID on the virtual drive images. 
And then he wrote a little basic nine pro or a sort of basic program that will actually let you, you know, pick a certain one. You just type in the name of the GoTech one and then it copies it over to whatever drive number you want. I won't bother playing the video. It's short, but you guys can play it yourselves here. But it's a nice little utility of just showing how you could actually do the backups and stuff in the basic program and make it easier and have them type backup zero to 400 or whatever every single time. Next up here, and this is from Tornlog Volden. So he's got a, a new version of Toolshed Utility Suite for Windows, uh, which just came out literally yesterday. Now, I'm not sure what's changed on this. I didn't really see what has been you know, modified. I don't know if anybody's had a chance to fiddle with this. Is it just catching it up to maybe a, you know different operating system versions of it, or is it have they actually added some new features to it? I'm not sure. Has anybody on the panel that uh, deals with Toolshed a fair bit know what was updated on this one? I'm going to take that as a no. <laughs> I was looking for it because he posted about it on the Discord. And I know there was a bug fix and there was something else that had initially triggered it. Okay, so it's more of a maintenance relief, not a new feature thing, but bug fixes is always good. So anyway, if you want to grab the new one, it's on there dated December the 10th. So literally yesterday, and you can grab the 132 version there. Next up, now this was posted in the Discord this morning by Simon Jonasson. So uh, this is a little video of a kind of a spider graph thing. It's doing a rotating set of 128 dots using sine and cosine. He's got the blue, you know, IRQ timer bars. You can see it's not taking much CPU time at all. Uh, the, the thing a bit different here is it's, it's very smooth. It's fast. He said he actually had to slow it down a little bit, but it's all on the single screen. There's no page flipping. There's no anything. It's literally redrawing every time. And he put it out as a challenge for people to take a look at the source to figure out exactly what kind of wizardry is doing to do that. So I'll play a little bit of it here. Now, Alan, I know you took a look at the source. I haven't had a chance to look at it, so I'll let you comment on it a bit after the couple seconds of the video demo here. So you can see it's not using very much CPU time at all. It's not really wavering, but it's maybe using you know, a sixth and eighth of a frame, maybe. Um, so, Alan, from your looking at the code, what what did you what did you see in there that looks kind of funky or mad or whatever you want to call it? Uh, um, well, you know, other than the little bit of boilerplate at the beginning to get it started, all of it is funky and mad. So <laughs> there is some stuff going on in here with how he's playing with the stack and modifying code and the stack together at the same time to handle the disc, the draw list. So yeah, if you ever wanted to know um, some super, super, super secret mad science stuff on how to manipulate dynamic lists of things in code and in the stack, this will get you a two for one, just reading through the first, just reading through the, the core loop. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to, like I always do with this code, I'm gonna have to sit down spend a weekend, go line by line through it. Do you know, what did it do to start with? What is it doing in the step? What did it end up with? And then write up my own comment stack afterwards, just to start to get the full idea of all the gears that are going on inside of it. <laughs> Don't forget the tequila. It, it's, it's, um, and, and the, the funniest part of it, I think is it's deceptively simple. When you look down the code, you go, oh, that that's easy. 
and then you stop because you're, you're you hit one line and you go, now wait a minute, that's not so easy. Then you back up and realize you had no idea what you were looking at to begin with. But yeah, uh, everyone who is interested in 6809 assembly really needs to take a look at this chunk of code. Okay, now you've got me more intrigued than I was before. So I'll have to definitely take a look at it when I get some free time here. Um, but basically he's posted the source code in Discord in the assembly channel. And he's put out, like I said, a, a bit of a challenge to the community to figure out exactly what, what's going on here. And it sounds like, uh, Alan, you've got at least a head start on the rest of us on figuring that out. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you've looked at it. That's uh, you're one up on me there. Uh, next up, so Jim Gary, like I mentioned before, uh, he wasn't able to make the show today because he's kind of busy grading papers and stuff, but he did manage to crank out two programs last week anyway, uh, one which was the uh, Run Dino Run Run Dinosaur MC10 version, and this one is a Haiku Basic Program, resumed by John Krusch, Crutch, and uh, basically it creates little haiku poetry stuff for you, so I'll just let it play one or two here. This is at least as good as I could write poetry, so. Not sure how useful it is, but it looks like a bit of fun if you're into haikus. This reminds me of that software they have where you give it the lyrics to a popular song, like like a, a group song, like maybe three or four of their songs, and then it will put a song together based on those lyrics. And sometimes it just don't make any sense at all. But pretty interesting, man. It's just like real lyrics. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and one thing I want to mention here, this was actually the, the drawn crutch version was actually from a book called AI for small computers. So this is meant to, you know, kind of simulate a little bit of an artificial intelligence. I'm not sure if I quite buy this as being artificially yeah. intelligent, but I guess it has to figure out, well, you know, the, the right number of syllables and all of that. Right? Yeah. And I know that one made the rounds list quite a few computers. <laughs> Erico says it's very Coco thoughts. <laughs> That's how we need an we it. need an AI to write Coco thoughts. Yeah, Gaim's bot on Gaim's uh, secret is I don't know. We don't need him yeah. anymore. I don't think. And then a little waterfall behind it. You're done. <laughs> Uh, next up, there's a couple of videos now from the Dragon Meetup. So the first one here is a long one. It's 40 minutes, and it's actually goes and talks to some of the exhibitors. So they get some one-on-one -on -one with almost all of them going through their stuff. I'm definitely not going to play all that because we'd be here for the full 40 minutes. There's a lot of interesting things there. There's some stuff that we got covered on the show as well, but there's also a few things we did not get a chance to hear about on, on our coverage of it. So definitely go through this one if you're interested in that kind of stuff. There's a ton of stuff in there that's quite interesting. And then there was a follow-up after that too, a second one with no commentary, which actually just goes through. It's like 10 minutes just walking between the booths to give you a quick quick show with just the standard background noise from the convention itself, uh, but with some better quality shots than some of the stuff that we saw uh, on the original stream we did. So if you guys are interested in the Dragon or if you're interested in the Dragon meetup that happened, uh, this is kind of give you some extra stuff to watch. And between the two of them, it's almost an hour's worth of content to take a look at including some commentary where they interview all the developers of the various things. So you can get some details that we didn't have time to get into during the live stream. I was also kind of surprised about his uh, comment when he was talking that he said that it's not as big as Coco Fest. But when they were walking around during the that episode, it looked like it was 
a lot of stuff there. So I was kind of surprised by that. Well, I think he's more talking attendance because the people that actually came to see the dragon meetup, I think they said it was around 30 to 40 people, which I mean, a Cocoa Fest on a normal year, it's these days, it's around 120. Right. So well, I, think I, was just, what... I was just saying like the video that you guys had on the uh, that particular episode, it looked like there was just a ton of machines there compared to what Cocoa Fest was. So I was just kind of surprised by that. But yeah, I guess maybe he's just talking a number of attendees. Yeah. I mean, they did have some bleed over from the regular museum. Like people just kind of wander into the wing they were doing the the dragon meetup in. So they got a little bit. Um, Plus, I mean, the Cocoa Fest you went to was COVID Cocoa Fest. So it was a bit smart. Well, that's true, (laughs) I guess. Yeah. There's a few of us here on the panel that we normally would have made it and didn't would have had our own booths and stuff too. But uh, yeah, I'm hoping this next one in May, I'm hoping things are loosened up enough that it's we can actually get the full contingent down there and get other people like Frank who've never been out there as well so anyway though if you're into the dragon if you're into the you know a lot of the stuff that we were trying to show on on the live stream there a few weeks ago and you want to get some more details of it from the people that made it themselves uh both of these videos are really good to add to your watch list next up here is tj ferrera now i'm not familiar with him though he's got three and a half or three and a half thousand subscribers almost so he's fairly popular and he got his very first TRS-80 Tandy computer period, which happens to be the MC-10. So he just basically does an unboxing um, showing that, in fact, he got the manual with and he got the cassette cable and stuff there. And he's planning a follow-up video to kind of go through. He's going to try to grab some of the software. I think I even left a comment in the YouTube comments there to go check out Jim Gary's site because Jim, of course, has got tons of stuff that they had downloaded to try on MC-10. Uh, he's a very enthusiastic YouTuber, I will say that. So, um, you know, for people like, you know, ken or james or somebody that you know half falling asleep during the show when i'm prattling on here this is definitely the opposite you'll be actually able to keep awake so um it was it was, it was entertaining and i'm looking forward to seeing what his uh future videos when he actually starts running some of the software so this is basically just getting the mc10 up and running he is definitely enthusiastic <laughs> have, have you watched his stuff before or have you uh seen or met him i've seen a couple of his before but this one it was Almost over the top. <laughs> it was almost like Play watching David Ladd talk about disk drives. That's what it. Play a bit. It, 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 you want to see a bit? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Howdy, folks. TJ here. Oh, I have something cool today. Wow. Now, it's not a super expensive computer, but it, it is looks a like computer. Pee or something. And for some people, they may be going. Eh. But for me, I love these kinds of computers. I've been eyeballing one for a while. And I finally pulled the trigger because one popped up locally. Been watching them on the flea bay. The price range is anywhere from around $100 to $150 range. I ended up getting three items for $125 plus gas and time to get there and not being able to test everything. Because sometimes folks have old computers, but they don't have all the right cabling for it. But I was able to test a couple of things and I was starting to feel good about this purchase. So what did I buy? I've never owned one. Never owned a Radio Shack TRS-80 before. Had lots of friends in the olden days that had TRS-80. Got to use them at school. The older original models from the late 70s. Not this fabulous color version that I purchased. This came out a little afterwards. But what did I purchase? A Radio Shack TRS-80 MC-10 in box 
with a printer, TP10 printer. We'll show this a little closer here in a second. And no box on this one, but it also came with the cassette player. Why For 125 more. bucks, I think I did pretty good. <laughs> I was able to test. Anyway, I'll let you guys watch the rest of the video. But yeah, he's definitely I had not, that tape uh, recorder. He's enthusiastic. Yeah, he's enthusiastic. <laughs> what's that? Uh, what's that computer sitting by the monitor there? He's With got the a three and a half in the front of. Yeah, that one. That that's a, a Sam's coupe. coupe. Sam's coupe. coupe. Yeah. Is that? <laughs> that's like what I've seen. Room. Some YouTubers claim doesn't really exist. In fact, I think the uh, retro computing roundtable—that's their in joke. Kind of like our MC10 is a. It space is a rather door. rare and expensive machine. Yeah. Yeah. Because they keep claiming it doesn't actually exist. It's a figment of somebody's imagination. It's kind of like, <laughs> that's, that's their... It, it, their it's one of its best claims to fame is it uses a sound chip that nobody else used. Hmm. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I like the built-in three and a half inch drive, though, I got to say. And we shouldn't complain because we never even had a sound chip built in. So It was like six channels or something on it. Yeah. Okay, cool. I know on on, on uh, ARG Presents, they have covered the Sam Coupe before, so there's a little bit of stuff that Aaron and... Uh, and, and don't call it a coupe. No, never call it a coupe to the people in that I was going to say, isn't that just Sam Coupe? Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, do not call it a coupe to someone that has one. It's coupe. Like, yeah, oh. it's yeah, it's not it's not a coupe. It's gray coupon. Okay, whatever. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not a ZX81 either zx yeah. right <laughs> i was so gonna I'm call going... it a cow pie but i don't think that's right either so, <laughs> so i was going to go shopping at target yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's on, exactly well it's sitting on top of a damn computer maybe yeah that's like a shell damn. of something that's a Coleco Adam. 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 Uh, well. Adam, yeah. Water, water. Uh, damn, I got to hook the printer back oh, up again waiter. to power the thing on. Nothing. Will it, it, will it, it, came, it came out what? in 1989. That that was very late for a yeah, uh, I was gonna say. eight bit computer. The Adam? No, the one on top there. Oh, the coupe. The, the coupe, the coupe, the chicken. If, it, if it's a coupe, where are the doors? <laughs> I'm wondering, can the Adam erase the floppy disk in the coupe there? Probably. When you turn it off, my guess is yes. It, it probably yeah. could. Well, they well turning the Adam on dim your lights. Mm. Well, I know B11 will do that, but anyway. Yeah, well, that's just an EMP generator on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, it's, 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 it's an entertaining video to watch, I will say that. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he thinks of some of the software and when he gets into the 1,000-plus Jim Gary collection or some this of those three. other machine language ones that recently came out that we've, uh, from Japan that we mentioned there a few weeks back. It's also kind of interesting, like his entire setup just is like a menagerie of parts, like nothing goes together. <laughs> There's an Atari ST disk drive, and then that Sam Coupe, and then whatever that might be in that. A 2600 Pac-Man cartridge, it looks yeah, like. Yeah, just uh, like kind of all just kind of thrown together. 
the looks classic like twenty six hundred Pac Man cartridge. He, he's yeah. a little obsessed with uh, all things old and electronic. I think I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can we see all. That, but yeah. Yeah, that's Where's a kettle the... your black uh, type of situation. There, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and now I'm on to the last one here. So I'm going to show a couple bits of the clip here. So this is a Noel's Retro Lab, which we've covered before. And he's covered some dragon stuff he got recently. So he did a couple things that he mentioned that are Coco and dragon related here. So the first one is that somebody sent him a 1986 catalog mm. from Radio Shack. And of course, he's in Europe, so I don't know if he even got these. Um but of course, he he's, he's, he knows a bit about the Coco, and this is just the catalog before the Coco 3 was released. So I'll play a little bit of that as he's going through a bit of the catalog. This is almost 200 pages of, oh, look at that. Very cool, this drive. <laughs> oh, look at those modems. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. I will definitely be pouring through this. And, and I don't know if both still on here, but I know you guys on uh, This Week in Retro covered uh, the original acoustic coupler modem from 1964 there. So there's one of the more modern ones. And then the second chunk is he got one of the replacement Dragon Power Supplies that we were talking with Frank about earlier from Dragon Plus, the ones that John Whitworth made some, but doesn't want to really get into manufacturing them. So I'll play a little bit of that as he kind of goes through it. Uh, somewhere around here. Checking it out and learning more about it. This next package is coming from Dragon Plus in the UK, but it was actually sent by Patreon supporter Leo Albanese, and longtime supporter of the channel. And as you can expect, with a name like Dragon Plus, this has something to do with the Dragon computers. So, okay, that's a good start. Lots of documentation. Very, very well packaged. You can tell it's very professional. And there it is. This is a kit. Must not be an eBay. I believe is the power supply. For no, he's, the he's much more of a retailer, computers, which like has a is. not trivial power supply. It's one of those mixes of AC and DC. So that's very cool. And if I remember correctly, part of this is also replacing the video out. So I think maybe it replaces the RF out. And I'm not sure if it's because he uses the, the slot or there is something maybe in there that needs the AC voltage and this only provides DC voltage. So I'll have to look up some more about it. I was going to ask oh, Karen that, but of course she's not calling me. This very specific connector that the Dragon uses to connect the back board with the main board. And maybe that's why this is also doing some video things. It probably just replaces the whole backboard with something else. And then they need to do the, the video processing there as well, maybe even the video out. So. This looks very complete and th this could be really cool. I'm totally looking forward to checking it out and I will definitely need it in at least one of the Dragon, what is it, 200s that I have waiting to be repaired. So again, thank you very much, Leo, as usual, and this will come in really handy for a future video. So I just wanted to cover those two things because they're kind of Tandy Coco and Dragon related. Uh, of course, he does all kinds of retro stuff, and there's more to this video. Other stuff he's received. So, if you want to get some, you know, general stuff, he's got some TI94A stuff. He's got some ZX Spectrum clones, C128, etc. A lot of stuff in it. And that is the at the end of the news segment of the program. And I think uh, some people might want to talk about some project updates, etc. Um, Mark and uh, Rick, for example. Uh, I have a news item that I'd like to uh, speak oh, of. Sure. Um, yeah, can I share my screen real quick? 
There. All right. Can you see my screen? Yes. How can we improve browsing, filtering, and searching? Yes. On Twitch, which is one of the things that we um, stream on, there's tags for various things. Well, there is no there's tags for other machines like the Commodore 64 and the Amiga, but there is none for the Tandy or even the color computer. So what I'm what I've uh, suggested on their site is a uh, Tandy tag so that you can find Tandy related uh, streams much easier. And here I will put the uh, I'll try to put this the thing into this there there's a direct link for the people who uh for the people to go there and you can vote because uh they have a voting system for uh, new tags and this will allow you to find your favorite uh computers uh stuff uh and related info on uh twitch and as a side note i also want to recommend another one because they don't have anything for technical things I, uh, when I'm doing my soldering and, and such, I will also do uh, stream onto my Twitch. And this one is for a technical tag. And I'll also put the link for that to uh, into, the, uh, into the chat. And all you have to do is just go here and then right here, this where it says where I obviously voted, you just click on the voted and that's all you need to do. And I think this will help the community because it'll allow you to find more Tandy related uh, um, content. So where in Twitch actually is it? It's in the user voice. Uh, well, it's twitch.uservoice.com. It's um, I, I uh, posted the direct link in the chat. So you'll be able to just go straight to this page. Okay, I just voted, so it's showing a vote count of four now. Do you know how many it needs before it kicks in? Um, I don't know the exact number, but I do know. But looking through the history, I've found that uh, things have been uh, added with numbers as low as 100 to 150 people. So it all depends on on uh, the number of votes, and they just go through them and and uh, review them and consider them. Cool. Oh. So, and we want to get get more people to vote because the more people that vote, the more likely it is to get approved. Cool. So, for the people watching the show um, later after the fact, like not in the live stream, it's actually posted in the uh, chat. So, hopefully, that'll show up in the live stream recording. It'll also be yep. in our Discord. Um, which channel mm -hmm. are you going to put it in? So, it'll be in general, or yeah, it's already in general. I posted it when I actually did them because um, yesterday when I was streaming. Um, I went to go put tags into my stream and I was like, wait, there's no, there's no tags related to the, to the, to the cocoa. And then I looked for Tandy cause I figured that's close enough and nope, there's no Tandy right. TRS 80. Nope, nothing. So, and there's, there's tags for the Amiga for the Commodore 64. Um, yeah, there's also a, gl a, a glaring, um, exception for atari computers too but they do have an atari one that you could at least get close but still there's like nothing for the tandy and our voice needs to be heard because there's no way to coco so, so we're, we're going to do tandy first and then do coco afterwards once the um, tandy one's accepted maybe 
The yeah, standard will could, cover, of course, the Model 1s, the 2s, the 3s, the 10s, right. the 1000s, et cetera. So. Yeah, I mean, it's – I'd rather see – at least a Tandy. I mean, a cocoa would be nice, but at least a Tandy. Um, I mean, you can, uh, in the comments section, you can add it that there, maybe there should be, um, one for like the main, the major, uh, Tandy lines, like the, the model one, three, four, the two, 12, 16, 6,000, the PCs, the cocoa, etc. So, cause, uh, they do read, read not only the thing, but, um, some of the more common co uh, comments. So, Okay, cool. Well, everybody get your vote in there. We'd like to get that so it's easier to search for Cocoa-related and Tandy-related content on Twitch. We'll start with Tandy first to get the general one, and if we can get enough for Cocoa later on, that'd be awesome, too. Yep. Yeah, and also, don't forget the technical side of things. If people want to watch me uh, solder things like uh, that uh, you want to uh, see uh, made. It's, it's not quite the same without the smell of burning hair. Yeah, well, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm not gonna name specifics, but if you want to see me build things like this, then. And watching soldering live for me is like scary. It's like watching you know a horror film. So uh, I, I don't think I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have to worry about burning my hair. All right. Need hair to burn. <laughs> yeah, and uh, like. Uh, Hey, Rick, if you need your boards, uh, if you need the cereal chips added, I mean, I can do a whole show about them and uh, add the cereal chips to a whole bunch of them. We, we might go there. Yeah. Because I can find little bitty ones and twosies, but I can't find, you know, JLC doesn't have. So, yeah, yeah. let's talk about that. Yeah, I'll have to uh, put you in touch with a um, with a uh, supplier that I know of in China, and I've been dealing with them for twelve years, and they have never sent me bad chips. Goody, that's the uh, other thing. <laughs> yeah. You can silk mask anything on top of a chip of any kind and call mm -hmm. it whatever you want and sell it to you. <laughs> yeah, I've had a few of those, so yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Speaking of finding chips, I was. Uh, behind my workbench here and uh, actually found uh, a couple uh, PIAs, six, uh, 68B21s. I was like, woohoo! <laughs> so you never know where you're going to find this stuff. It's like finding 10 bucks in your laundry. Right? Yeah. Right. Well, actually, more, more like... More like <laughs> yeah, good B, uh, B series uh, 6821s, that's more like 20 bucks in the laundry. <laughs> so... Oh, yeah, thanks, I, Sarah. Like, I, 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 I'd forgotten about it uh, just from all the going through the news stuff. So, yeah, there was so much exciting uh, news in there. I can understand why. So, as far as uh, localized news here, so who all has project updates other than the game stuff we covered earlier, obviously? But uh, like, I, I think Rick Euland and Marco Bowser might have a bit of an update on the Coco NIC, or at least, you know, kind of where it's heading at this point. Does anybody else have any other stuff as well? I, do, I also have an update also. Okay. If uh, well, since they're all quiet, you want me to just go first? Yeah, might as well. All right. Um, I know Mark can... has to leave to go to a, a wedding. He's maintaining sound at, so it might be a Rick solo show anyway. Yeah. <laughs> all right. As you can see, nothing special here. Coco SDC Explorer in my Coco Two. Um, but if we go down here, hey, there's a. There's a directory called Dragon32. 
Let's go see what we can see in here. And as we all know, the, the uh, Cuthbert series is very popular on the uh, on the uh, dragon. <clears throat> so let's try this out. Hey, it's working. Just so you know, there's no tricks here. This is in fact a Coco 2 with a Coco VGA upgrade. And And it seems to work. So this actually does the Double remapping time. of the keys and stuff for the PIA differences? And the joystick works. So what are we doing here? Did we convert Cuthbert to the Coco? No. Turn it off. Turn it on. We converted the Coco into a dragon. As so is, that, is that like a flash ROM or what is that? That is the um, internal drive wire board that I uh, that I sell. I put the uh, the uh, Dragon ROMs into it with just one small patch, and then for the keyboard, let's turn this off and I'll show. I made oh a remapper, a little adapter. Oh, okay, so you're remapping the keys just so it just works. Right. And then you see how they're jumpers. You jumper one side and it's the dragon. You jumper the other side and it's the Coco. So you can run all your favorite dragon software on your Coco. Um, Is this going to uh, be on a switch selectable board? Yeah, I'm waiting for switches to come in. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, six pole switch that I need. I can either buy one of them for like nine dollars, <laughs> or I can get five. I, I, or, yeah, or I can get five of them for ten bucks. But I can either get the one for ten bucks or for nine dollars <laughs> next Tuesday, and I can get the five of them for ten bucks next uh, and just around Christmas. So, How about like a uh, one of those ICs that that select? Was it like a 157? Well, no, that would be like four of those ICs that select. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I'm I'm going to make a small board that allows you to uh, just mount the uh, switch, like probably down down around here somewhere, and you'll be able to push it in for Coco, push it out for uh, Dragon, and you'll be able to use uh, all your favorite Dragon software on uh, your Coco. Um, nice. because I know quite a few, quite a few people want a dragon in the U S but the Tano dragons are all sold out and that were, uh, for sale and, uh, getting one imported over here is not a cheap <laughs> proposition. Mm. And, uh, although they are quote, quote unquote, the same, eh, they're not exactly the same. And it's, it's nice to have, uh, the option of both. I want to license your product. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for, for my key replacement thing. Rather right. than just make one up. 
This would be a cool collaboration. Oh, so integrated into a keyboard. Yeah, for uh, making it into a uh, to change it from the Mylar connection to the uh, thing. Yeah, after many reworks, I've about got mine working, but it could use stuff like this. But I don't want to just steal everyone else's idea. I would rather. Yeah, well, I plan on combine actually it make... all into. Yeah, I plan okay, on well... actually, actually making a PCB because this is what it looks like underneath. Right. <laughs> and as we were talking earlier about wire wrap and how you should solder the wires so that they're to, so that they're uh, reliable. Uh, even soldering can be uh, can have issues. <laughs> oh, right. I can tell you about that. Yeah, yeah no, wire wrap's also brittle, so if you thump it a hundred thousand <laughs> times in a row, the wires just fall off. It's, it's yep. yeah, it's great. So, but yeah, that's uh, my uh, project uh, update. And uh, all you wonderful people out there. Don't you need a drive wirelessly today? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't. Have you drived wirelessly? <laughs> <laughs> so, Rick, I think um, you're next up. I, I, I think Mark had to go to that wedding already, so I think you're going to have to solo it. But if you want to kind of give an update on the Coquin Nick and, uh, like you said, the, the Foundations Edition. The Founders yeah, Edition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Founders Edition, because there's re not really any software yet. Um, yeah. But, How do I get one? <laughs> uh, send me money because I need to recoup some of my expenses so far. Um, if you go to connect. Um, yeah, what is the computer connect.com when I'm and in connect, you will find my website and I can uh -huh. show you some there and I will link uh, data sheets and software and other things like that. Um, we've got through the initial getting stuff out the door that I haven't done in a while. Uh, and then, you know, I'm as fast as my 3D printer can print them. Here is um, Serial 110 that I just snapped together during the show because, you know, 3D printers work when they work and you go tend them when they need tending. Um, anyway, um, at my website, I've got uh, a, a blog section. And if you look in there, there's a Cocoa IO concentrated errata which is the uh, pack-in for the pack-in manual, you know, sort of link sheet that I'm keeping up to date. So you can go there to get, uh, uh, you know, data sheets and software that we have going. There's a couple of GitHubs online for people who are writing things for this. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a whole lot for users yet, but I'm setting up a website that, you can connect to from your cocoa that isn't encrypted and you can just connect directly and get various cocoa things from there. Um, basically tied into my web browser program that I'm working on. Um, right now I'm a little disorganized because I'm trying to get a lot of things done in a short period of time, but uh, hey, they work and I'm shipping them and I've got a couple dozen, and it's been a long time since I could say I had a couple dozen of anything to sell. So that's, <laughs> that's a fun time. <laughs> now, I know Mark had mentioned before that he's uh, got some of the auto detection and stuff working to figure out that the chip's present and stuff like that. Like, I, I think the software is starting practice. He's working on some of the driver stuff. 
Oh yeah, he's working on that sort of thing. Um, the the program that I wrote is kind of a. I'm stealing from the early days of Linux, so you have a host file that is replaces DNS with here's a list of host names and IP addresses, and you've got an interfaces file which gives rather than using DHCP, you assign an IP address and so forth. Um, you know, all of these things could be improved upon with the uh, various daemons and so forth that haven't been written yet. My idea is to just get it online now. It's like the early days of ARPANET. Okay, I've got a list in my host file so I can connect you. It's our own little dark net, you know, <laughs> because we don't have encryption. So you can't just connect to any random website. It has to kind of be directed towards this product. And, uh, you know, Telnet would work, SSL would not. So, you know, it's it's kind of the next step is providing consumables for it, basically. Um, I think the hardware works, but we need things to use it for. And of course, uh, Mark's working on DriveWire, so that'll help. Um, we have several people working on several things. So let's let's uh, let's see where yeah, we go. Mark's auto detect is for which port because it has a jumper selectable port in the cartridge, and uh, he's got a detect so that it will just know which of the two port settings it's using in the Coco's memory map. Okay. No, oh, right, right. Because otherwise, like in my stuff, you have to no and put it in uh, Etsy interfaces. I actually added a line that doesn't exist in the Linux interfaces file for your hardware address. So it's not, you know, the program is, you don't have to change the program or anything. You change the, the config file. So um, I've got a couple of things that I haven't quite got online yet, but uh, we're actually going to move from just doing sort of a text screen kind of web browser to actually having maybe some images and some downloads. But man, the, the buffer on this chip is a bear. So I need some people to work on this thing with me. Um, that's all I'm going to blabber today. I, I really didn't have a presentation and it shows. We'll blame Mark for bailing on it too. But it, it's good that the hardware is working and that some software development, you know, even at its primitive stage is starting to happen. Like you're getting some people that actually are writing some utilities and testing programs and stuff for besides just yourself. So I think that's that's. And the initial sure. deliveries have also started. People are starting to receive them. So hopefully they'll uh, plug them and, in. And so far, Alan, are you the only one that's had that problem where it doesn't work? Oh, we're not discussing that, are we? <laughs> well, we, we do have an issue with Coco 2's running the SAM accelerator and um, a VGA, but that's kind of complicated because, you know, how many people have a SAM accelerator and a VGA on the Coco 2? Yeah, there's about 100 or so, I guess, have the Coco VGA, but as far as the SAM accelerator, that's pretty rare. So, So we're not really sure if that's an issue, although, you know, Everything I send to Alan, uh, 
blows it up. It works when Rick sends it. It doesn't work when I plug it in. I'm blaming it on the Houston ship channel. It's all those ships that are going just south of Pasadena. That well, that screwed up the magnetic flex and my last name. <laughs> yeah, you must be sending oh, yeah, it through there's... the special EMP customs or something. Oh, like that. It is Murphy's Law, exactly. <laughs> so we'll see if if it if it expands beyond that. Then obviously, um, so far it works on Cocoa Threes. But well, uh, you should send one to me, and then we can see if it can get lucky. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and hmm, who are you? I'm going to send mine I, over I to the... uh, Marco. And Mark's going to run it through his battery of Coco's and just make sure that it's just something about mine. Because it worked for Rick when he sent yeah. it out. It doesn't work in my Coco's, but, you know, a third test will know for sure. Yeah. And this is after throwing scopes on output traces and centering all of the little mismatches. And I mean, geez, why, why does it blow up only for this guy? So, it's good that we've got uh, now 10 in the field as soon as some of the victims get theirs and <laughs> <laughs> customers, <laughs> customers, customers, we're getting software going. I'm, I'm about to get a website online that is not encrypted and is cocoa oriented and is written towards the Coco's limited screen size and et cetera. So we can actually do something with it. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go from there, I guess. Cool. Well, thanks for that update. Uh, I'm glad to see the project is progressing and some are getting out in the hands of people that can actually help start writing some of the software and stuff too. And having a Coco website yes. we can hit would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, Does we've got to get your site. We've got to get your site Coco compliant. Oh, mine's pretty dumbed down. It was specifically was written so you could get into onto it from a Coco from way back. Is it back. is it unencrypted? Uh, I didn't even know. See, yes, see, it is. See? Is it? it? Is? Okay, good. <laughs> but now we're going to put Curtis's design to the test. So all this theoretical nonsense, we'll find out for sure whether it really, right. really is Coco ready. I specifically use GIF images on my site, though, because I actually did test it using links back in the day, running uh, KB term to download the GIFs and then view them in another window <sighs> to make sure that would work. So, because I was planning on doing a graphical web browser on the Cocoa way back when. Hmm. One of the reasons I uh, rewrote view to handle some Cocoa 3 specific GIF stuff. And Go down. And MGE and CM3. <laughs> well, those aren't those aren't web standards. I was trying to do some web standard stuff here. <laughs> See the the thing that we might need to implement somehow is the the Wiznet has 8K on the card basically, and you can stream this off. If you could stream this off directly to the screen, that would certainly save a lot of time and effort. So, yeah, or even have something pre-render it so that it's just a straight image. So, so yeah, how do you pipe data from the cart through a GIF decoder to the screen without ever involving RAM on the Coco? Mr. Dave's board might mm -hmm. actually be able to do that, to be honest. 
So th this is the kind of things I'm worrying about now. We're, we're getting on to <laughs> how do we make it work good? Great. We can you know? network. What do we do with it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it works. So how do we make it work well? <laughs> you know, links is what I was going for here. I want to actually have little thumbnails you can click on, you know. Uh, you can't put the pictures on the screen, but you could have a thumbnail and you click on the thumbnail and then you see the picture in an alternate window that you can kill because, you know, OS 9 has windows. So, yep. It it has promise. I'm, I've poked at enough things to see that I can do what I want to do if I just had more time and, you know, a development staff, I guess. <laughs> if you had a budget. <laughs> I had a budget and a staff, and we could get this done quickly. But uh, instead, we'll see what we got by next Christmas. But I'm working on it. Two, two developers. <laughs> Well, cool. Thanks for the update. And uh, hopefully you guys will keep us posted on, on what's happening as far as the software support for it and stuff goes. And also, you know, figuring out any niggling little hardware bugs, et cetera. There aren't. Does anybody else have any project updates or acquisitions they want to talk about? I'm hoping not because it's getting kind of late. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> uh, just something real quick here. You okay, were talking ahead, about, yeah, you were talking about arcade game designer earlier and, uh, I'm, I haven't made a secret of this over on uh, Discord, but I haven't really announced it publicly. I have been working on a port of Arcade Game Designer for the MC-10. And oh, wow. uh, it has gotten to the point, at, well, if, if regular work doesn't get in the way, hopefully I'll have a demo to show off soon <laughs> sometime this month i'm hoping so are you scaling the graphics down to like a p mode one type thing because of the um no at first i'm requiring the the p mode four thing it's the the code supports p mode four p mode three and uh, then the modes that are actually supported on that hardware so if somebody has a modded machine they would be able to play the demo or they'd be able to play it on an emulator but the the goal is to get something out there so that someone if they want to take and convert a game down to the lower res to work on all machines they could do it okay and uh one of the things that i ran across when i was converting the game engine is the way they got it up and running, this was originally a program for the Z80 over on the Spectrum. And they emulate the Z80 by creating virtual registers on, like on the 6502 version they, and 6809 version, they use virtual registers. And they basically duplicate the operations um, going between those registers and stuff. And one of the things that the 6809 version did not do was change the byte order. It's still, the virtual registers are still, at least the code I have anyway, I don't know, I may not have the latest code. Um, they are still little Indian. And so you can't load D or load X on a few things. So, um, one of the things I've been doing on the MC10 version is make, well, you know, we don't exactly have the fastest machine out there. So I've been trying to optimize 
it so that it does everything in big Indian and take fewer instructions. So hopefully, uh, once I get the MC10 version up and going, maybe we can make some optimizations to the 6809 version too. Cool. I had no idea you were even doing that, to be honest. Mm, you guys should be on Discord more often. <laughs> I have been. Though Jay's been keeping me kind of busy lately, so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we ready for the outro? Yeah, unless somebody else has an update, but I don't, didn't hear anybody Push. else pipe up beside James. This concludes another episode of Cobra Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer, MC10, and Dragon systems. For all things Cocoa Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Ulin, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! it out a bit <laughs> and that's and how he's the one who complains about the length yeah <laughs> oh actually we're in the caboose now <sighs> okay uh any other last minute thoughts not for me keep Coco on cocoing just, just a big thank okay. you to uh, all of our guests today don't forget to play gate crasher coco mm -hmm. early coco often Yes, and make sure Thursday. Make, make sure you come Thursday to play with us. If you need help, just ask. We can walk you through it even on the air. Yeah. Okay. Well, say goodbye, everybody.